You're listening to episode 181 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Man, so many comics have just been delayed right now, you know? I, we, we can't focus on the sad things like that, though. We have to remember the positives. Let's, you know, let's just remember all the really good books that had the opportunity to finish what they were doing. Who could forget Countdown to Final Crisis? Just so blessed that that book had a chance to finish. Hey, Spider-Man you know since passed. <clears throat> Heroes Crisis. Heroes. Yeah. What was that? Heroes, Heroes in Crisis. Crisis. <laughs> Heroes Crisis. <laughs> Justice League Cry for Justice. Another really great book we can all remember. Oh, God. Nah, dude. Nah. Spider-Man Rain. Spider-Man oh. One More Day. Ah. I'm just so grateful. So many good books have had the chance to just you know finish their runs over the years. Holy Terror Captain, by Frank Captain Miller. America Reborn. Yes. Uh, this pandemic really reminds you of how precious finishing books truly is. Because we just have so many good books to remember. Well, the the Fantastic Four where Sue Storm has the uh, the four shaped boob window. I dream of having that as an item of clothing to wear every day. Classic. I want I, people to see I my boob window. My mind I don't want to see Phil's boob window. <laughs> I could stand to see that boob window. <laughs> well, there are also really great comics like uh, X Men versus Fantastic Four, uh, written by Akira Yoshida. And classic. <laughs> classic. Civil War Two. Oh God. X Men versus good. Avengers. AVX, get it right. AVX. This we, we can remember the good times, you know? All the great books that we've had over the years. It's just... It's, it really makes you admire the beauty of life, you know? Someone somewhere is listening to this and going, How dare you talk about <laughs> Cry for Justice like that? <laughs> that book sucked! How can you actually miss it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 giving comics fans way too much credit, Phil. Pete, Pete, what, what, what's, what book do you, are you reminded of in this time of just you know, struggle? Oh boy! Um, wow, that's a big question. Like I said, Akira Yoshida's X Men, <laughs> uh, Fantastic Four, really sticks out in my mind. You can't right beat now. that one. Who could forget Invincible? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna break quarantine to come over and kick your ass. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Phil's in the field, man. Yeah. True. If, anyone anything, has it. if anything, he'll infect me. Yeah. I'm a new X Men villain, baby. I'm the virus. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> it's it, but COVID it has, kid. Has, a, has an X instead of a V. It's Coxid because it has to be X Men. <laughs> Oh boy, thank you guys for joining us <laughs> on this episode of the Comics Pals. Uh thanks to Phil for getting us off to a, a an interesting start. Um Well a start. Yes. Yeah. Gotta remember the positives. We've got a lot of things to talk about, uh, and not all of them are related to this terrible, terrible uh situation that's going on. Imagine In fact, that. We do actually have some positive things to talk about today, so that's exciting. Um, and uh, 
we're going to be talking towards the end about what's going to happen in geek culture once the coronavirus is over with. Like, how how's this going to work? I think there's a lot of things to think about in that regard. So we're going to chew on that in our main topic. But before we uh, get this train rolling, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. If you type that into Google, you're going to find us, find our faces, um, probably on a logo. And uh, if you want us on social media, of course, just type in the Comics Pals, Twitter and uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. If you want us on YouTube, again, the Comics Pals, youtube.com slash thecomicspals. And uh, while you're there, make sure you guys leave us a like. Share this video with your friends, drop us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. Uh, make sure you hit the notification bell to be made aware when we drop our content. Don't want you guys to miss out on that. And last but definitely not least, join our Discord server. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun over there. This week we talked about Resident Evil, that good old gaming franchise. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil 3, actually just beat it, and... Um, I actually beat it at the start of the week. It only took me three days. And going to be starting a new run on that really soon. Uh, what else do we talk about this week on the Discord? I feel like there were some other hot topics. Oh, God. It's hard um, to keep track of all the things we talked about. You you need to stop. <laughs> you can stop. Uh, we actually had... I, I don't know if we shouted him out last week. I think we might have actually. But we had a new joiner. We did. Yeah. yeah, we yep. did. Yeah. He's a good dude. Um, Ryan so was yeah. back in the chat this week. Oh, we talked about Seinfeld yeah. briefly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what was uh, the deal with that? There, <laughs> there is good news. Fan of the show, Harris, is. Uh, he says he's back to full health. He was, uh, he was uh, suffering, but uh, uh, he says he's back to full health, so... Uh, Good on you, buddy. Best of luck. Yeah, I yeah, hope you're feeling better, bud. I'm very happy that uh, that that's the case. Harris is a very long time friend of mine, and I would hate to uh, I hate for him to be in worse health than he was. So yeah, um, I think that I think that uh, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good out there in the world these days, and I'm excited to talk about it. One thing that I saw a lot this week. Um, the the comics world is reacting in a very very positive way as it relates to trying to get deals out there and things like that. I saw the Heroes Initiative was actually offering a um, like virtual virtual Q and As with with creators, um, people like uh, Bendis, Tom King, uh, Scott Snyder, just like a lot of top level names, a lot of mid level names. I'm sure if you if you were to go check that out, you'd find a creator who you are into. Um, and the way it works is you can you, you spend a certain amount of money. It's like you know thirty bucks, fifty bucks, whatever. And there's a cap on how many people can be in it. And you get to sit there on a Zoom call with um, you know whoever it is and ask them questions and things like that. So pretty cool. That's awesome. In a way, I feel like that is kind of better than you know getting to meet them at a at a convention. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the the experience will be more personal. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you're somebody who is like interested in 
the creative side of things and like you're trying to like get advice or anything like that like you're going to do way better in that environment than just coming up to them at some random show when you know they're there to try and sell books not that they don't want to talk to you but they want to talk to you like as a fan necessarily not necessarily as somebody like you know who's looking for career advice yeah i've been i've been doing zoom calls with chris evans guy for maybe the last four years now and like it's it's I'd rather talk to him that way than just kind of bump into him at a con because, you know, he's busy and stuff. So, like, yeah, yeah. definitely want to yeah. do it the other way. Is his camera ever on when you do that? Uh, Well, no. Why? <laughs> oh, I was just, just wondering. Curious. Just, yeah. you know. He, yeah, he said he said that he doesn't have a webcam. Does well, it makes, ever sound like sense. he might be referring to himself as Captain America or... Um, well, yeah, of course he does. He like is that. Captain America. You know, it's interesting. Now that you say that, you did mention that when you saw him in the films, his voice seemed a lot deeper. Well, yeah, <laughs> but like he's acting, right? That's true. Yeah, he's doing the Captain America voice. He's putting on the Captain America voice. And realize, but how does that – what about like in interviews and stuff though? Well, he's got to be in character. You know, he's an actor. You never break kayfabe. Mm. Did he ever – Okay. Did he ever ask you for like a like a nude or anything well, yeah, like that? Like, I mean, or like that, money? I don't think that's any of your business, guys. <laughs> what about a Honestly. what about a what about a foot pic? That's between oh, me and Chris. You send me pictures of your feet. That's between me and Cap. He asked me to call him Todd a few times. I don't know why. <laughs> and if you join the Comics Pals Patreon, you <laughs> can spend a hundred dollars to get a Zoom call with Phil. Oh God, no! Don't oh, I thought it. you were gonna say with Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah, well, I can. Make, I can set that hookup. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna start offering that. You think I'm joking? I'm gonna take <laughs> sound clips of him from every movie he's ever been in, and I'm gonna create a, a massive soundboard. And if you want to talk to Chris Evans, I can hook that up for you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Hit us up in the Discord, and we can make sure you talk to Chris Evans, or as I have to call him sometimes, Mr. Todd. Okay. Mr. Todd. <laughs> Is that your only nickname for him? <laughs> no. We, he makes me call him a few other things, but I'm not going to repeat them here on this chat. They're not safe for work. Oh, God. Oh. I don't like okay. this. I don't like this bit at all. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> no, no, hold on. Give me one. <laughs> no, please we've got, don't. We've got the explicit tag on iTunes. It's false. Also, also, Pete, you've talked to Chris Evans once before on Zoom 2. What are you talking about? You never told me how it went, but you said you talked to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's, like I said, that's between me and Chris. And, you know, like, it's really just... It's not something I want to talk about on the podcast. You know, it's yeah. like we're here to talk about comics, not our personal lives in our bedrooms, you know? Yeah, our personal lives. Oh, you do in the Evans. bedroom. I mean, it's where I get the worst reception in the house. So, yeah, it's where I get my <laughs> video chats, you know? Makes a lot of sense. Down here, this is for work, you know? I like to keep it business and personal separated. We're just, you know, that's that's just my time. <laughs> Your time with Chris. Yeah. With Todd. <laughs> Okay, Kelly, one on one, sometimes he makes me call him Hunky Baby. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly has a mouthful of coffee. Why would you do that? (laughs) Hunky Baby. (laughs) 
that's like a week from now we see Chris Evans change his Twitter handle to that. <laughs> like, oh my god, it was true. <laughs> That's what he makes me call him. That sometimes. is disgusting. On another <laughs> note, um, <laughs> I I uh, I watched Black Panther last night. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. What's the last time you um, saw it in theaters? No, definitely not. The last time I saw Black Panther would have been at some point last year on DVD. But um, so, is this your third time watching then? Hmm. Nah, probably my fourth. Now, where exactly were you when you watched it? Okay, let's cross-examine Sean. <laughs> well, I was in my living room with my girlfriend watching mm. it. On TV. An alibi. Was this T'Challa or Huey P. <laughs> Newton? What about Huey? Well, that's what I'm asking. Was this about the Black Panther movement or the Black Panther movie? Disney movie? I've watched several things about Huey P. Newton. So That's cool. Wanna, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Don't even gonna go get, there. Going to get the FBI knocking at Sean's door. Not funny. <laughs> You're not even kidding. <laughs> We're already on a watch list because of this show. We have to be. I'm on a watch list, but I'm not sure it's because of this show. <laughs> Chris Evans told me I'm on one of his watch about... lists, too. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I bring that up just because um, it can be tough to stay connected to the things that you love when all this kind of crazy stuff is going on. And a lot of people on Twitter and social media have been, you know, no new comic book day. So a lot of people have been doing new to you comic book day um, and uh, sharing some of the geek stuff that they've been into. So uh, that's that's what I did this week. That was um you know, related to this thing we love. Yeah, I mentioned it on the show last week at like the tail end in the plugs, I think. But uh, I started rewatching Daredevil recently. Yeah, oh, I love Ben and... Affleck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. His Batman was amazing. <laughs> yeah, but no, I was watching Daredevil though. You know, so Charlie Cox, Phil, you're you you were a big fan. I guess you don't remember. Um, maybe huh? Black Vision. <laughs> but uh, so. I, I had rewatched season one before. This was my third time watching it, um, but I've never rewatched two or three, and I'm in the thick of two right now. Uh, so that's been fun, and Sarah's never seen them at all. Oh, but uh, I'm at the part in season two where um, – and spoilers for Daredevil, I guess um, – where after like Frank goes away, and then there's kind of like the electric, the electric beat, and I'm like, man, I remember that this is not that good. And it's like three episodes in. I'm just like, I just want to get to the other part of this season where it gets good again. Because I just, uh, those Electra episodes are, mm. I like, like the my Electra least... episodes. You would. Me too. You would, Phil. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think Sean likes season two, Daredevil, more than season one, if I remember correctly. I do. I do. Oh, right. I yeah. That's crazy. I, I mean, I get I, it. There's some dope fucking moments in season two. I forgot how cool that uh, the stairwell fight is where he's that is fucking amazing (laughs) um yeah and it's like the whole things i uh i figured out while i was watching it i was like this whole thing was shot with a drone because you can like see the way the camera's swaying it's like they literally just followed charlie cox in like one shot and did the whole thing on a drone it's incredible 
Hell yeah. That show kicked ass, dude. That was a good show. R.I.P. I'm really bummed out I didn't get a season four. Yo, every time that they talk about that rumor of like, oh, like, you know, they might they might bring it back on Plus or they might roll it in for, you know, like the MCU or whatever. Like, here's here's hoping, man. I would I would eat up a Daredevil season four or like uh, I know Vince D'Onofrio, who played Wilson Fisk, has said he wanted to play Fisk in like a Spider-Man movie. Like, hell yeah, brother. Like, <laughs> let's be, go. What a oh God. He would murder Tom Holland without question. Tom Holland yep. would just be like, ah, oh, gee whiz, Mr. Stark. And then Mr. Fisk would do <laughs> some you, mean shit to him. You get that perfect scene of, I I think the, the shot I'm thinking of is the first time that <laughs> Fisk and, and Peter fight in Ultimate. And he just grabs his head and just yep. starts crushing it. Like, yep. <laughs> it'd be like exactly like that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, Fisk would eat Tom Holland. I don't feel so, so good, Mr. Fisk. No, I guess you don't. <laughs> because like think about how small charlie cox looks next to him and tom holland has got to be a little bit shorter than him and he's definitely scrawnier (laughs) i don't know dude you ever you ever play resident evil i picture kingpin just really just literally squashing his head like the way that that would happen in a resident evil game like you got to press the buttons and if you fail you just get dead (laughs) yeah it'd be like like old gimmick comedian from the 70s and 80s gallagher who always mashes a watermelon with a hammer a mallet (laughs) wesley get my mallet (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so one of the other things that I saw recently was uh, not that I that I watched, but uh, people have been talking about a comic that they read that they don't necessarily feel like they need to read again. Oh, I named so a lot of them that... in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, something you liked, oh. but you you don't feel like you need to read again. Do any of you have an answer for that? That's like most of the things I consume in life. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I like you're not it. really much of a rereader, are you? Yeah. I, let's see. Because I, I always, I, I, I never say never, right? Like I can think, I, I felt that way about lots of things when I finished them, but then after a certain amount of time and distance, like I like to go back and kind of, um, sometimes look at things that I really cared about with like a fresh pair of eyes, and it's not always a good thing. But, <laughs> but I, I kind of like that experience, you know, because I think even if something that you liked or had a connection to has aged poorly or, or you don't get the same thing out of it that you got out of it when you enjoyed it the first time, that can be like an opportunity for you to recognize growth in yourself, you know, and that like why your tastes have changed or why, um, you know, your your views have changed and why something like doesn't strike a chord with you or something like that. And I think that can be like a valuable exercise. Um, even if it doesn't end up like enhancing your enjoyment of the, the art itself, you know, that shit happened to me with Mad Max Fury road. I rewatched that for the first time since theaters back in 2015. And I was like, Oh my God, that was a radically different person when I saw this five years ago. Right. Five years ago, I, I was like, damn, this would be crazy if this happened. In 2020, I'm like, I am Max. Phil's <laughs> <laughs> just like, ah, oh, 10 years from now, this is probably what I'm going to look like. <laughs> um, you know what I, you know what book I liked, but I, I never need a reason to reread ever again? 
uh, Doomsday Clock. Mm. Yeah, wow. I think I feel that way about it too. Now that I think about it, it was good, but I don't need to reread it. I enjoyed it at the time quite a bit, but you know, and I don't. Nothing will ever take away that experience of like the way that we read it and enjoying it month to month. But I don't know that I would get as much out of it from revisiting it in the same way that when we revisited Watchmen, which was I think my fourth time reading it or something like that. You oh know, yeah, was, you get something out of it every time. That was the first time I read that in twelve years. That's crazy! Wow. Uh, I don't know. I'm a I'm a big, uh, you know, rereader, rewatcher, whatever. So I, I I really don't. I can't think of a single thing that I wouldn't read again. Like if you liked, liked it the liked. first time, anyway. <laughs> yeah, th- th- I I I really can't. There's almost nothing that I. Four wouldn't. kids walk into a bank. I mean, I didn't really like it that much. Uh, all right. I thought you liked it enough. <clears throat> uh, I liked it enough. I guess, yeah. but not like I don't know. I know what you mean. Yeah, actually, now that you bring that up, that could probably serve as my answer. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. Like I Forgot really enjoyed that book, but it's like okay, I know where it goes and what it does, and uh, invincible. <laughs> I get it. Oh, it's you know like, where it goes and what it does. Yeah, yeah. it's like Spider Man, but lazier, right? <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I fucking hate you guys so much. <laughs> uh, uh, my real answer, I, I think, might be Identity Crisis. Uh, I reread that a couple of year, maybe last year, year before. Box. Yeah. For the long box, um, and uh, boy, that's a that book is a lot different from now when I read it the first time. <laughs> I haven't read that book since I was like in the sixth grade, and I'm now afraid to reread it. Fam- famously, it was one of my very favorite books, and now I'm less less warm on it. <laughs> I loved that book back then. I loved it. It was one of my favorite books in middle school. Don't want to touch it now. We will surely be doing a book club. Ah, oh, bitch. That's the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love Identity Crisis. <laughs> I really do. I I haven't read that one in like 15 years. And what it did for comics for me, I think is it was it was one of those pivotal moments where it's like, oh shit, superhero comics can be this. Yeah. And now as a, a seasoned you know, adult and comics reader, I'm like uh, maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> now, what are you seasoned in exactly? <laughs> salt. Lots salt. and lots yeah. of salt. <laughs> Pepper. He's a cured piece of meat. <laughs> nah, he's not cured. He's cured of nothing. <laughs> Big ol' ham. That's true. <laughs> You're honey glazed, that's for sure. Hey. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Glazed by my honey. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that voice. Oh, hey, Chris. I didn't know you were on the call. <laughs> oh, God. Please, no. Chris. I'm good on, on Chris for for today, tomorrow, and forever. Chris. Chris is good on you, too. Oh, sorry. Oh, 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 oh. Todd. Mr. Evans. I'm doing the right. Todd Holland thing you like. <laughs> 
outrageous. What's worse is that this is making me think of Todd Chrisley from the Chrisley Knows Best. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> well, you always stuck around after a Tuesday Night Smackdown to watch him, right? Yeah, I did, actually. Um... <laughs> So let's let's actually talk about let's talk about the news. Let's talk about what's going on in comics. And uh I want to ask you guys a question. Who do you think is going to step up and save the comics industry? Donald Trump. <laughs> wow. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Eric, I've been reading these great picture books. I really like them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see Wait, this guy Eric? wearing the bat on his shirt? That's me. That's what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this young fella, Spider Man? You got me the Trump shirt with is... the Batman on it. I want that bat shirt. I think my Trump might be a little bit Bernie. Yeah, that wasn't. That didn't sound like Trump at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an old man's voice, really. Well, that's that's just <clears throat> Kale. I, you know, Sean, I don't know. Well, uh, the person that I think probably no one... J. Scott Campbell. No. Akira Yoshida. Mulder from the X-Files. Oh, no. The truth is out there. Well, the truth is that... Patrick uh, Warburton. Damn it! That was a perfect segue, Kale. Yeah, you fucked (laughs) on that, dude. That's that's the name of this podcast. Uh, Todd McFarlane is actually stepping up and sort of weirdly becoming the voice of of the industry in a lot of ways. Uh, he did an interview with Forbes where he talked about the state of, of, of the industry and, you know, where things might be going. And he talked about Diamond and <clears throat> a lot of different things. And uh, I, I got to say, I was actually really impressed with him speaking out the way that he did. Um, and he put a different, he, he applied a kind of different perspective on some of the issues that, you know, we've been talking about on this podcast for, for weeks now, since this whole thing started. And it was nice to hear somebody who is not just a creator, but actually an owner, um, talk about, this because everybody else has been silent pretty much or just throwing platitudes out there and not really getting into you know the weeds and really giving their 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 opinion so i'm gonna read a little bit of what uh todd had to say i think the industry needs a consistent message whatever that message is right or wrong we need to be consistent even if we have to adjust it but we really need to speak with one voice not four or five different publishers running four or five different programs and methodologies. It just ends up confusing, confusing the retailers and the customers. If they put me in charge and no one wants that, I understand. Here's what I do. I take Image, Dark Horse, Marvel, and DC, the top 90% of the market, and make a message from the four of us as a unified front. One message. Um, he then talks about how uh, maybe we should be putting out a few books that maybe those publishers should put out um, at the very least 10 or so new titles uh, for free as digital downloads. He says, we can afford it. 
It doesn't necessarily help the retailers, but we can't allow customers to lose that exercise of being geeks, of getting their regular dose of keeping their geekiness going with comics instead of moving on to some other thing like streaming video or gaming. Because they will. We need to engage people in comics. And if we're not doing new comics, I don't get how we can keep them interested. We've done okay. We can afford to give something back. Maybe, uh, and then he, he talks about um, events and the possibility of, you know, putting out events once this whole thing wraps up to kind of bring people back into the fold. He says, maybe we can coordinate the timing for once so each company gets a turn in the spotlight. Maybe do some cross-company stuff to make it sexy. Um, uh, he said, doing nothing cannot be the answer. If we stand still and hold our breath, how does that improve what we're doing now? If I put Spawn out digitally for free or at a discount for a few months, does that mean customers won't buy issues at retail? Maybe not. But I say to the stores, don't worry about getting issues 307, 308, 309 that come out when you're closed and can't get printed copies anyway. Fans will come back for 310 when things reopen. They'll come back for Batman or whatever they're reading. Who cares about the number? It's a comic you're selling at the same price. Who cares if people get it a different way in the meantime? Here's what I know about addicts. Now, of course, Tom Tom uh, Tom McFarlane getting into his knowledge about addiction. Um, <laughs> the longer they go sober, the easier it is to stay sober. We don't want our customers to break that habit. Consumers will be filling their their time somehow. Why let a competitor fill that with streaming media or games? We need to fill it. We have an industry that's built around weekly gatherings, conventions, where people come to the conventions to get their books signed, not their iPads. They need something physical. That's never going away. We can't look at other models like music and be afraid of what happened to, to record stores because of digital. We have uniqueness we can cherish and rally around. And then maybe the thing that he said that I thought was most interesting was the following. We have one distributor for print comics, and they decided for safety reasons to cease operations. Because we're all tied to one person, that one decision affects the whole industry. It was probably the right decision, but it's not healthy in the long run for one person to hold the fate of the entire industry. We should be doing a reassessment when we all come out of on the other side of this and ask some hard questions about how to buffer ourselves from this happening again. So obviously, Todd dove into a ton of different things there and again like running the gamut of everything we've been talking about on this show so what do you guys make of tom's opinions here as someone who it really is an industry veteran at the top level for his almost his entire career you you really pinned down the quick hole like the the, the clickbait headline todd mcfarlane uh shoots on addicts <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but yeah man <clears throat> i think i think what todd's saying here makes a ton of sense you know and it and it echoes a lot of the conversations that we've been having on this show and uh you know one of the positions that i took i think it was last week i can't we've had this conversation for the last couple weeks kind of off and on was that I know that retailers are a vital part of of the comics industry but the comics industry also can't just stop while you know while retail stores can't be open and i think that like a lot of what todd's saying here makes a ton of sense and um 
one of the things that I think I, I brought up and we danced around, but we didn't really get to dive into was one of the points that was brought up on last week's show was how like, you know, digital only represents like 10% of the market and, you know, that that audience doesn't have a ton of crossover with people that buy physical. And I think the idea of of potentially like putting out even reduced numbers of books or putting out books for free for some amount of time, like I, I think what Todd's saying is like really that the industry can't – like you said, they can't hold their breath and wait for – the government to bail them out or to or for this to go away and end because it's the neither of those things is happening anytime soon you know and and like the idea of you know seeing the biggest players pull together to weather the storm you know and like create a unified path forward for everybody else to follow i think is probably like what needs to happen you know what do you think about that kill I don't know. I'm I'm somewhere in between. I I don't disagree, um, but I still think like, you know, that's gonna that's still gonna leave re- retailers in in the dust. Um, and and while I while I think, you know, it is good to hear from uh, an industry veteran and someone uh, in charge of something. It's still. I don't know, not 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 a closed-minded response, but it's, you know, it's it's one of those where it's like, well, you know, if we got to cut off the arm to survive, then that's what we'll do. Yeah. It's like Snowpiercer, everyone cutting off limbs. <laughs> it's like that James Franco movie. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that uh he says this because there's not even a unified front within his own company about their position <laughs> yeah. because image this week actually put out a statement about what you know about this whole thing and um it it said the opposite of that um it said uh we must support the channel that is most imminently endangered by the warehouse and non-essential business closures, the local independently owned businesses that include comic shops and independent bookstores. These stores are more than just retailers to our comics community. They're often the biggest champions for the medium. They drive engagement and they act alongside press like Newsarama as tastemakers and curators for readers in search of their next comic or graphic novel. Our fans understand that comics is a community and an ecosystem and have been hugely supportive of keeping brick and mortar stores healthy, which in turn keeps comics healthy in every form. We love our digital readers too, and we have a number of sales going on in digital. Humble bundles on the schedule with proceeds going to benefit the BINC Foundation, and even have a whole bevy of freebie number one issues on our website for fans to peruse. Right now, digital and print readers are coming together and sharing their recommendations of new to you comic book day uh hashtag ntycbd uh, a hashtag that spotlights backlist titles that readers may not know about it's been fun to see some old favorites and new discoveries surface because of it and it's a great way for our fans no matter how they read comics to come together online during this uncertain time now of course that is a direct message from image to fans uh that's the message that they want us to get from them about this whole situation. And I don't feel like that was 
congruent with what Todd's saying. So I think it's funny, and I'm not, you know, I'm not coming at him for this, but I think it's funny that he's calling for unity among the publishers when there's not even unity among the founders at Image and Image's, you know, vision for what should happen here. Yeah, I I think the the one thing here that um. I, that I think is important too is is just to think of like this one quote that he said about how consumers will be filling their time somehow. Why let a competitor comp- fill that with streaming media or games? We need to fill it. And I think that there is something to that argument as well in that, you know, comics, like every publisher is literally in competition with each other because they're, you know, they're all competing for market share, right? And mind share among comics readers. But I think the bigger threat to comics right now while things are on pause is that is everything else that you could do besides read a comic. Um, and I think that there, like I, that is a, a problem that they definitely do need to find a way to address because right now, like when everyone is stuck at home, um, it's, it's easier to do things online. Right. And like, to your point, Sean, earlier, you said how during this time, like, it's tough to stay connected with this hobby because it is so centered around going somewhere and, and the experience and the ritual of going somewhere. That's not what I said. Well, no, no, no. You didn't say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you said, you you're, said you're right. what I said and then you said something totally different. Sorry. I meant to, like, build on that point you made earlier about how it's tough to connect with what's going on. But that um, was because, but that was because of the time we're in and how crazy this all is. I don't want you to make a point off my point and make it sound like that's what I was saying. If I'm I not quote Sean here for a second, I he said he saw Black Panther in his living room this weekend. I'm pretty sure he said he hates that movie. I don't know. I, I kind of missed some of the <laughs> yeah. details, but that was my takeaway. And if I could build a and point it, off that, <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> and also would point out. He said he watched a movie, not read the comic book. All right, Pete, go ahead. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Is that (laughs) rather than reading, people will watch things or play games or do whatever um, if there's not a a steady stream of new shit to keep them interested. And yeah, there's the backlogs of stuff to go read and, and everything. But again, how that's not helping retailers either. That's selling old digital books. And, you know, so I like... I think the idea of doing some level of new digital content, you know, is is um, not necessarily like a fuck you to retailers um, as much as it is like trying to maintain some level of normalcy for your, you know, your customer base um, and maintain service, right? Um, and I, I think that especially when you talk about the fact that there isn't a lot of crossover between people who like to read digital and people who want to read physical. You know, I, I guess I guess the fear, right, is that people will make that transition. They'll get used to it now and then they won't go back. But I think there's probably truth to what Todd's saying where, like, when things reopen, they will come back because the consumer that wants the experience of going to a shop and engaging with the hobby wants that experience. The problem is that... Um just like if you're a fan of a thing just because that thing isn't happening at the moment doesn't mean that you just forget about it and i'm not saying that there are no people for who that won't be the case but i don't think that by and large that's something that 
comics have to worry about because you like comics. It's not like you're going to like if you don't see your girlfriend for a few days because she's on vacation, you don't just go get a new girl. You wait till she comes back. Oh, uh, shit. Movies are on pause. <laughs> uh, mo- movies are on pause. And for the most part, I mean, like a couple of movies have come out that studios have thrown out there. But for the most part, they're on pause. And I guarantee you that once movies start coming out again, people will watch them again because that's what you like. And I don't think that comics are any different in that regard. If you like comics, if if you love comic books, you're definitely not going to forsake them just because they aren't coming out right now. You'll either enjoy something else or read old books. And then when stores open, you'll go back. And I think that um, Todd is undervaluing the passion that comic book fans have. And I think it's, it's also sort of ignoring common sense to sell the medium. It's just like, how many comic books can you read in a day before you actually hate the medium? What do you mean? You by know, that? there are other things you're going to do. Oh yeah. In a day yeah. you get, you're not just going to sit around and read comic books all day. No, no. But, but I mean, I think his point is that like, when something's a habit, you keep doing it. And when you break a habit, it's easy to stop doing it, you know? And and I think, like, that can be – like, you can apply that to anything, right? Like, how many um, – you know, like, how many people are there who, like, go through periods like that with stuff they like anyway, right? Where, like, nothing's really grabbing you right now and, you know um, – like, Sean, I think you expressed this – not that long ago about like video games where like aside from resident evil 2 like you really didn't play anything because nothing was really speaking to you and you had fallen out of playing world of warcraft and stuff like that so that is a habit that you were regularly spending hours of your time and then you broke the habit and then you know you're like well i'm gonna do other shit because it's not speaking to me right now and i think that that is a danger for people who are more you know uh, casual fans like or not necessarily like casual because like if you go buy books every week, you're not casual. But like, if you go and pick up a handful of books and they stop for a certain amount of time, and you know, you're like, well, that's fifty dollars I have in my pocket now, and I have a limit. You know what I mean? Like, it's. I think you're right that the people who are really, really passionate are going to come back. But when we talk about the fact that the comics market can't survive a ten percent reduction in sales, losing any number of readers is bad, right? The, the the difference in that uh, uh, the example that you used of me is that I will always be a gamer. So the same way I'll always be a comic book reader. It's a thing you do, right? Um, and so that's my sticking point is like I think comic the comic book industry has more it, it, it is any it is an entertainment form just like anything else. But something that a person enjoys is something that they enjoy. Uh, If my favorite band doesn't put out an album for, you know, 12 years like Tool didn't, um, when Tool's album comes out, I'm going to buy it because I like them. You know, I waited 12 years. I can wait six months. It's not that serious. And um, I think, again, that comic book fans are extremely devoted to the medium. We go to a store every single week to buy these things and they're overpriced like there's no way that people who have that type of passion are going to stop and if the comics industry can't survive a 10 percent dip well guess what it's more than a 10 percent dip right now right so when stores reopen they're 
inevitably will be, will be people who don't go back, but there will also be people who never go to a movie theater again. There will also be people who never go to a convention again. There will be people who never do things again because they're afraid or they dropped off or whatever, and that's something that the world is going to have to endure. Yeah. So, I well, plus there's also the the chance that like you know the financial situation in the U, at least in the U.S., continues to decline, um, which is another factor that you know, of course, we may, we may have to worry about. Uh, yeah. the, the short term, you know, if we have a massive recession, like you said, comics are overpriced. They're an expensive hobby. Oh, we're yeah. in a recession. Don't worry about well, that. Well, I, I guess I should say if the recession that we're currently experiencing develops into a long-term situation or a depression, which is what, you know, it very much looks like we're heading towards. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's Phil, did you have a take? It. Did you have a take on all this? I think it's I think it's funny that like Todd McFarlane from the distance is like, hey, hey uh, comic executives, get fucking get together and figure your shit out. Like from his cloud, he's just like, yeah, yeah get together, come on, figure this out. It's like I'm fucking making toys and writing a Spawn movie. Get yeah, together. That's yeah. That's that's sort of my attitude about this whole thing. Is I just saw that he made a million dollars on his Spawn action figure or whatever. So I'm like, he'll be fine, and he knows it. Like. Well, yeah, but I I don't want to. I don't think Todd is saying him that for himself, right? I think he's talking about the industry at large. He even says like we've done we've done well. We can give back. When he referred to giving away comics for free, he wanted to put out new books and give them away for free. So I do feel like his heart is in the right place, and he is trying to be a champion for the medium. I just disagree with. Uh, his assessment that people will leave the industry in droves if, yeah, if you know, comics if don't, they don't have I, comic I, books hooked up to their veins. Yeah, I, right, I, right. I didn't mean it as an indictment of him. It, it's just like me being like, uh, <laughs> it'd be, me, be like, hey, Democrats, Republicans, ah, figure it out. Come on, <laughs> I have no part in your decision making, but ah, ah, go solve the problem. Yeah. I, I did want to focus a little bit on the last thing that he said because I do think that this is something that will be real is uh, his comments about Diamond and how the industry has, you know, is run by this one, you know, basically a monopoly. Diamond has a monopoly on distribution in comics. And I think if anything has been illuminated out of this whole thing, for these publishers, although he's the only one to talk about it, it's that this is probably not the way to continue. Uh, with Diamond at at the top and only Diamond, um, especially because you know publishers are the ones who are feeling the effects of what Diamond talked about last week, which we're going to refer back to in a little bit, of them not paying what they owe. Right, they're not paying their vendors, and in this case, vendors refers to publishers and and whatever other businesses that diamond is involved in so todd would be intimately familiar with that feeling of not getting paid um because he's a part of that process at image so even though diamond is doing the right thing and shutting down you know publication of comics no one had a choice you know if diamond says it it is what it is and clearly dc isn't cool with that DC is like, oh, okay, cool. So if you're doing that, we're going to go find something else because we're not down with that. And 
for DC for that to be their sort of immediate reaction um, is like, man, that should show you something, you know? So I'm interested to see where that thread goes down the road. Um, but as Kale referenced, congratulations are actually in order Thanks. because <laughs> I've done my part. I appreciate it. Yep. Uh, Todd McFarlane's Kickstarter for Spawn actually made over a million dollars in just two days, and I think um, I should say what it was what it was for. Uh, he is going to be uh, remaking uh, a Spawn statue. Um, he's going to be it, it's like one of the original ones. He's going to be bringing it back, um, and you know. Think about what that means, right? A million dollars in Kickstarter money for a toy, you know, um, and only 8,000 backers under that, actually, uh, at the point at which this article from comicbook.com was written. Um, and they figure it's, it's about $128 per person. Uh, there's money to burn. And clearly a million of it just went towards this toy. So as a result of that, uh, McFarland would know better than any of us that we are so passionate that we are willing to put money into things that we love even now. So I, uh, I think that that should be a lesson as far as what we have to worry about with regards to uh, the money that comic book fans have to blow. I'm picturing, I'm picturing this like, this lady going up to her husband. Hey, did you get groceries? Uh, kind of spent the grocery uh, money. Wait, what'd you spend <laughs> it on? I had to help a friend out on Kickstarter, you know? <laughs> my buddy, my buddy Todd. <laughs> oh, yeah, are, hey, they, are they uh, in dire financial need? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely needs money. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I like Todd McFarlane I'm a big fan yeah I got no beef I love Spawn I used to buy his sports figures when I was younger <laughs> wow I forgot about that yeah McFarlane Toys made uh, sports figures I had a whole bunch of them that I collected in high school and middle school wow yeah that's crazy he really did it by himself man like he really he really said, you know what? I want toys of like my characters. I'm going to make them. Yeah, I respect that. And then that. did it for everyone else and made a shitload of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's cool because it ranges from like like in the article that we have, like the OG toy that it's like remaking is like kind of the more classic like, you know, plastic action figures with the posable things. But then they also do these dope statues and yeah. like – I feel like they were such a big part of popularizing that as a thing. Because yeah. I remember, like, back in the fucking 90s, like, my, my best friend growing up had, like, all of the original line of McFarlane Spawn busts. Um, and they were they were so fucking cool. Ugh. Yeah, like, just the definition on them. I had never seen anything like that at that point anyway. Mm-hmm. Kind of a prestige toy. I've never oh, read yeah. a Spawn comic in my entire life. Uh, it's not terrible. Yeah, there's good stuff. So we mentioned Diamond, and uh, Diamond is now resuming payment 
for publishers, but they're on a, a they have a plan to pay everyone what they owe, um, and it's a multi-week plan that is going to see them paying twenty-five percent of the uh, the weekly amount that they that they owe, um, and on top of that, the leadership are going to be taking a fifty percent pay cut in their salary. Oh, so generous. So, <laughs> I would say so. Uh, so this message is coming straight from Steve Jeppe himself. Of course, he is the uh, head honcho at Diamond, and he said, um, Last week, we held vendor payments to allow for careful analysis of information from our industry, our business, and the effects of COVID-19. We assure you that we would communicate our revised payment schedule when we were able, and I appreciate your patience in the many supportive messages I've received this week. Working with what we know today, below is the outline of vendor payments from Diamond Comic Distributors and Diamond Book Distributors. Beginning this week, the week of April 6th, you will receive 25% of the weekly amount due under your contract terms. Each subsequent subsequent week, you will receive a 25% payment of that week's balance due. This reduced payment schedule will continue for six weeks and the remaining 25% due in each of those weeks being deferred. Following that six-week period, we will begin payment of the deferred balance and equal payments over a 13-week period. While we understand that this will have significant impact on everyone and the situation could change, we also recognize that our world is in the midst of an unprecedented crisis and aggressive action is necessary. In addition to the steps outlined above, our leadership team is accepting a 50% salary cut, landlords have agreed to rent deferrals, and various other providers of professional services have agreed to defer their payments. Never before have we experienced such a test of our resolve and a demonstration of our commitment to each other. Now more than ever, we need to come together in support of one another, knowing that these difficult decisions will allow us to emerge from this trying time and thrive once again. Man. Imagine being owed money based on a contract that was agreed to and the ower of the money telling you, hey, I ain't paying you, um, but I'll start paying you, but I'm only going to give you 25% of what I owe you, and that's going to carry on for 13 weeks. For you to get 25%. <laughs> Yeah, I I sort of wonder great. how uh, how how much they're gonna muscle uh, comic book shops for all that. Well, if the leadership's taking a fifty percent pay cut, you gotta imagine that's like a decent chunk of money, yeah. you know. Um, whether that's going exclusively toward paying this debt or, you know, to just make sure the business has cash flow is, you know, kind of up for debate. Um, but a lot yeah, of corporations I mean, have had you know leadership figures taking anywhere between like twenty and twenty percent to fifty percent cuts to even you know pledging not to take any salary for the rest of the calendar year just because yeah yeah we all know the situation yeah well and I mean right like that's what leadership at that level should do when a company's struggling you know like. I, like, a, like a lot of big companies see what they pay their CEOs as like a status symbol, right? Like it speaks to how much your company makes. So like people at that level of leadership can definitely afford a pay cut, you know, especially if it's 
the health and future of the business that is making them the money. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's weird because like Sean said, it feels like such a, like I get that thin margins and they're not, they have no money coming in right now and everything. So great. But to be like, okay, we're going to take a 13 week period to pay you 25% of what we owe. And then the rest is going to be deferred with no plan of action laid out for what that looks like or anything like if I'm Marvel or DC or image or dark horse, like I'm not super satisfied by this answer. (laughs) That's not quite what they said. Isn't Um, that my misunderstanding? Yeah. So it'll be a six week period uh, to catch up with what. Yeah. And then there's a deferred amount um, that they're going to be paying off over 13 weeks. Okay. All right. All right. So, so that's not as bad. Yeah. So this is a clear plan for how to pay back everyone what they owe and get things on track. It's just that, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that, like, Ahoy Comics is, is happy with that, for example. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But when you're a monopoly, that's you get to make that call. Right. Yeah. And I, that speaks to the why it's such a problem to not have another game in town. I must be the only person on earth who feels bad for Diamond. I, I, I like I know that it's not popular to have feelings for corporations or not corporations, but, uh, you know, the, the the people that run it. But uh, this is just such a such a rough situation. And I haven't personally heard a story quite like this as a result of the coronavirus anywhere else. It's it's very unique, and uh, I I mean the pressure is on. Like they have the whole weight of an in, of an entire industry on their backs, which of course they chose by being the industry leader. Um, but now they have to find a way to appease all these different publishers and retailers, and to a lesser degree fans, and also keep their lights on and keep their families fed in the meantime. It's a huge burden industry dominator yeah i don't know if, i don't i don't know if leaders the word it's a monopoly they have a monopoly um but yeah i mean i i definitely get get what you're saying sean where like i certainly don't envy their position um they're they've backed themselves into a corner um which sucks but yeah it's like it's definitely they have a hell of an uphill battle from here to maintain any sort of normalcy, let alone return to where they were. And like the fact that we've heard rumors about, you know, like bigger publishers, like looking to maybe come and buy them and everything like that. Like, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that because they gotta be, you know, I, I, if things continue the way that they are, they're going to be hanging on by a thread, you know? Cause you said, Sean, like you haven't seen something to this magnitude really as a result of covid um at least not in many spaces but when you think about it like what else comes out the way that comics do you know like magazines but how many fucking magazines are there aren't like these days you know uh there are a lot more comics that come out uh in terms of like you know that get printed and sold um so yeah like 
th- th- there's an absolute disruption of the business model, and they have really like no recourse other than just cutting salaries and funneling that money to pay debt. And you know that's a losing proposition sooner or later. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it, of course, it all depends on how long this goes on and things like that. Um, there's probably not going to be some sort of angel investor or someone to come along and you know uh, save Diamond. So Diamond has to save itself. And uh, these are the measures that they've that they've figured out. And I really would love to know. I wish I could be a fly on the wall that these other publishers to hear how they feel about you know this whole situation. I'm sure they can't be happy. Todd is speaking for himself in, you know, the earlier story that we talked about, but his feelings cannot be, he cannot be the only person who feels like we got to get out of the diamond business or not get out of it, but just, you know, reassess as he put it. Redistribute Um, the, uh, the operations. mm -hmm. Redistribute the distribution. Yeah. Very interesting to say the least. But let's move on. Let's have a little bit of fun. Huh? What? Fun. You guys don't know, know about, about that. that, right? No, I don't what? trust it. I mean, doesn't Phil have fun with uh, Chris Evans? Um, uh, Todd that's, Evans? That's what he tells me we have. This is getting more and more confusing. <laughs> sounds, sounds more like work to me. I don't. Mm. Certain kind of work. I can put the work, yeah. In situations like this, that is disgusting. In situations <laughs> like this, there always, you know, there needs to be a hero, right? Like we we have, you know, the people who are who are um, saving lives every day, the nurses, the doctors, the 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 uh, the EMS workers who, you know, we celebrate every single day at seven p.m. Uh, these are heroes, right? But. Sometimes you need a different kind of hero. He's got to be strong. He's got to be fast. (laughs) Yeah. He's got to be fresh from the fight. That's true. I was waiting for that. That's all true. (laughs) Um, And and this this hero, you know, is a is a hero of the night. We're talking, of course, about Batman, and not just any Batman. We're talking about Kevin Conroy's the Batman, the Batman, the best Batman. The very best. So, uh, we recently had the release of Batman The Adventure Continues, uh, which, of course, was released digitally. That came out this past week. And uh, Kevin Conroy himself partnered with DC to actually read the script for this book on their IG Live page uh, this past Thursday. So, if if you missed it, I myself am a dinosaur and didn't know how to find it on 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 Instagram but You're one of the commenters there. yeah um one of the commenters was good enough to mention that uh this had been uh shared on YouTube so if you want to see it it's actually really cool Kevin Conroy just sitting in what I presume to be his living room uh giving all fans a treat by reading the script and of course he does uh, read it in his Batman voice. I thought it was Wayne Manor. You tell me Batman lied to me? <laughs> Listen, man. I hate to shatter your dreams, but alongside that, uh, Santa Claus ain't real. Huh? Easter Bunny ain't real. Huh? I'm not real. Huh? It's just tomorrow. <laughs> Who's bringing me a basket? 
Jesus. Kale. Oh. oh, Jesus. Okay. He's the real reason for this. Jesus, Kale. That's right. That's right. No, don't put me up there. <laughs> I mean, I'll not kale, take that one. Kale sweating. <laughs> <laughs> the, the uncomfortability was very high right there for Kale. <laughs> He's like, you just fucking wait. I'm going to make it to those pearly gates. You'd be like, remember that time that you called yourself Jesus, you piece of shit? <laughs> no, sir. That did not come out of my mouth. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it's a really good. It's a really good read. Again, you know, for many many people, Kevin Conroy is the definitive Batman. Even though he has seldom played the character in physical form. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's only done it once. Um, on the recent uh, the recent crossover with the the Arrowverse, the, where they have Crisis. Yeah, the recent yep. Crisis there. Um, so yeah, again, really really cool. Loved it. Did you guys get to check it out? Yeah, I got great. to check out a little bit of it, but I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. I want to go back and watch it though. I loved mm-hmm. his his Clark Kent voice that he did. <laughs> he made yeah. him sound like such a geek. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I would. That's a Patreon. I think that that uh, maybe I wouldn't subscribe to, but I could see that being a thing. Like, I would love to hear Kevin Conroy just read, just whatever, make audio books, like, cool. <laughs> yeah, whatever character. <laughs> Yeah. That's what fucking LeVar Burton does. Really? He brought back, uh, he brought back uh, Reading Rainbow, but he does it for adults. That's wow. Oh, I do remember Wild. that, yeah. Um, one thing I will call out is uh, if you guys have ever – or never heard of it, I guess I should say. Uh, Talking Tunes is Rob Paulson's podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if he still does it. I kind of fell off a while ago, but um, Kevin Conroy has been – is the voice of Yakko from Animaniacs for those of you who don't know. Yeah, and Pinky and, and a million other yeah. things. Yeah, yeah he, two different Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from two different yep. franchises. Uh, yep. Yeah, he's an OG, and um, him and Kevin Conroy are friendly, and he's he's been on that show a couple of times. And there's been like random stuff of him like reading shit in the Batman voice, and it's good we've, stuff. We've done we've done news stories on that before, actually. Yeah, uh, where he read um, he actually read the last bit of the the Dark Knight script oh right yeah right. Yeah, yeah yeah people were crying and all that jazz man do you guys remember when that was the news <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right not oh <laughs> comics are collapsing good <laughs> our whole industry is dying but uh this this kevin conroy reading actually inspired us at the comics pals uh as we discussed our upcoming book club is the Uncanny X-Force run by Rick Remender and many other artists who I don't have a list in front of me to name. Um, and uh, we had a great time with that book. And so we thought that as our gift to you, we would present a little bit of a quick read of a couple of pages from that run. So uh, we're going to actually get into that right now. And uh uh, Phil is going to be playing the role of Wolverine. That's of right, bud. <laughs> this is what I always do when I'm Wolverine, right? <laughs> Kale is going to be playing the role of Phantom X. Ah, we Phantom X. Oh, and here we just go. To, just, <laughs> just to keep things a pace. Pete is going to be narrating and, and letting you guys know what's happening on the pages that you cannot see. I'm no Kevin Conroy, but I hope you'll bear with me. <laughs> All right, Pete, set us off. I said, which which issue is this for folks at home? 
Oh, this is uh, actually just issue one of Uncanny X-Force. All right, let's take it away. Exterior, evening, Tower of London. Phantom X dives from the side of the tower, bathed in moonlight. Eh, man can go on the... Only go so long without his poison. It's the denial of pleasure that leads to the cancer. It's the repression of desires that leads to the crime. Phantom grabs the arch of a castle window with one hand and propels himself through the glass. Crash! Two guards stand at the end of a hallway, guarding a large steel door with a keypad. So I skip the middle man. <laughs> <laughs> Allowing myself to crime in the first place. Phantom X cocks his arm back, weapon in hand, seemingly preparing for an attack. Termite Inspector, go on break. <laughs> Power of misdirection, highly recommended. Phantom X activates Ava and begins hacking the terminal to the vault door. Ava, the lock if you would be so kind. Phantom X opens the door to find Wolverine standing in a room filled with a crown and other valuables. Oh! Ooh la la, gats. <laughs> oh, guess what, hoser? You lose. You owe me one cognac, Henry I.B., to God non-heritage to be specific, eh? <laughs> Do doggone's uh, heritage is two million dollars a bottle. How does someone like you even know of such a thing? I used Bing! <laughs> Phantom X and Wolverine turn to leave. Well, a bit is a bit. It will be delivered tomorrow, and I sincerely hope you choke on it. Oh, I ain't gonna drink it! I'm a Molson man! <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine closes the large vault door with both hands as Phantom X watches. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna use it to shine my claws and my hockey sticks, eh? Maybe disinfect the commode back home. That's a toilet. Lit, <laughs> dear Bolly You truly are the best there is at what you do. However, wealth is not his that has it, but his that enjoys it. Cut to a side angle on Wolverine from Phantom X's chest. Come on, Hemingway! We got a call for a secret rendezvous! It's Ben Franklin, you Philistine. Huh? Who is? The quote. Oh, sounds like Hemingway to me, bub! <laughs> Wolverine walks past Phantom X, flicking his hand in the air as he turns his back on him. Cinepa. You don't go put those crown jewels back, you can ask for them yourself! <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> now come on, you bastard. Let's crack open a cold one and watch the Canucks play a game of hockey. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what, bad. What is this? Hockey? <laughs> oh, you love it. There's a team in French Canada. They're good at hockey too, like you, eh? French Canada. I spit on French Canada. <laughs> you and the rest of Canada, Bob. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are brilliant. Love 
Cognac. Uh. <laughs> I like how you said Henry IV. <laughs> <laughs> that is a Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc. What? Can't hear you, hear you I'm cracking open a cold one as we speak, eh? These claws aren't just for disemboweling. They're used for many useful things, like cracking open cold ones. Wolverine cracks open a cold one. Oh, this one's warm. Hey, Bobby, the Iceman, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, the Iceman. <laughs> this <laughs> one's <laughs> warm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, god that's global warming for you <laughs> wow <laughs> my face oh. hurts from smiling <laughs> me too <coughs> oh, uh, uh, I sincerely hope you guys enjoyed that <laughs> let it, yeah let us know yeah. Kale was Do so indeed. intimidated by doing a French accent going into this this is the dumbest, dumbest accent I've ever done on this show. <laughs> it, I mean, listen, man. At some points, I could clearly hear you're American, but at other points, right. I was almost convinced. Dumbest accent. Like he's intentionally he's supposed to have a bad French accent, so yeah, I feel like if pay. anything, you were more true to the character. Going really going for that Pepe Le Pew, <laughs> <laughs> digging down deep. Yeah. So moving forward. Uh, Netflix has actually agreed to uh, pay and produce a show based on Sweet Tooth. The character from Twisted Metal? No. Jeff Lemire's <laughs> Sweet Tooth. Uh, oh, hell sense. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Robert Downey Jr. somehow is involved in this, believe it or not. Uh, he's... Oh, he- Go ahead. Yeah, that I remember <laughs> the headline said Netflix something to the effect of Netflix is paying to make Robert Downey Jr. sweet tooth. Yeah, yeah. Based on Jeff Lemire comic. No. It's no. Jeff Netflix agreed to make Jeff Lemire sweet tooth with Robert Downey Jr. producing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is blessed to get to do Jeff Lemire's comic. Well, I'm sure. sure Jeff Lemire is pretty stoked to have Robert Downey Jr.'s name on it, too. <laughs> That's a man who could do whatever the hell he wants. So he did Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, dude, he wanted to go on vacation. <laughs> I remember uh, in the Discord earlier this week, there was actually uh, a little bit of conversation about Sweet Tooth without this news being factored Um uh, I think Kale and um, a few others were talking about Sweet Tooth and your enjoyment of the book and stuff like that. What can we expect, Kale, from this? Because I've never read Sweet Tooth. Uh, Sweet Tooth is uh, very, very good. It's it's the story of uh, a boy who is born uh, with antlers. And I can't remember if he has, like, deer feet I know he has antlers, and that's like his whole thing. Uh, it's the it's uh, set in a basically a, a forest. It might be Canada, oh. a dystopian Canada where uh, a virus has gone out that's mutated a bunch of children, maybe all of the children, and um, uh, it's uh, sort of his story of survival and 
uh, how he he gets out of uh, being taken captive and and the friends he makes along the way. Uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible book. Hey, uh, Kel, uh, Phil from the uh, Comics Pals Press over here. Uh, does it have a clown <laughs> in an ice cream truck? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I went back to the Twisted Metal thing. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, just stealing my joke. Okay. Uh, To be fair, his was better, but I still didn't get it. I mean, okay, fine. I appreciate that he felt the need to explain it. Anyway, um, Pete, (laughs) you were about to say something, I thought. Oh, I mean, I was going to make a joke about uh, that this was based on the Fall Out Boy music video, but... Yeah, then Phil stepped on that, so... Um. It was worth oh, it. No one cares about yeah. your Fall Boy references. It popped with Sean. He got both of my jokes, so fuck you. <laughs> Yo, I was trying to remember, like, man, why do I have this image of a dude with antlers? Because I yeah. know I never read this book before. And that's what it was. Which sugar we're going down, it? 100%. Which th- that sugar was like, we're going down. Sugar we're going down. Yeah. And it was like three years. That album was like three years before 2009, I think. So, no, wasn't that like a 2006 record? I think that was in like eighth grade. I think when that came out, earlier than that. Oh, it might be Definitely. 2005. That no, was like no, no. I'm looking it up right now. That feels like it was like 2007. Uh, it was it was 2005. Okay, boom. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that tracks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um. So you're gonna hear. First. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'm into this. Sweet Tooth is a book that a lot of people have talked about over the years. It's a book that you know people should read. That I should read. So how many issues? Um, it's uh, the trade. It's got six uh, trades. Wow! Uh, but they're fairly quick reads. Uh, Jeff Lemire uh, wrote and drew all of them. I think. <clears throat> um, wow! And his stuff is very um, atmospheric, and and when he uh, when it's just him, he does a lot of focus on the art. Um, so it's it's not so wordy that it's, you know, a slog. Okay. Cool. Um, I, w- I would love to do it as a book club one day. It's, it's very good, but uh, it is a bit long for us, I think. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this. I'm so glad that Netflix is making an effort with these uh, comic book um series i know that lock and key came out a little while ago um and then they still have the malar world stuff which they've not nothing has come out of that yet but hey did that uh magic series of his not come out no there's another similar titled movie on netflix but it's not yeah so the magic order that's what it was yeah is the name of the yeah and that hasn't materialized as a oh. as a show or movie. You got to imagine like they have to have a certain amount of like cuz like I know they have a partnership from the beginning, right? But it's like you got to think he, he has to at least finish an arc on the book before they can Book's even done. like Well, I mean like he had to have done that before they could even start really probably working on the show. Like so I would imagine that there was like a gap between when the book ended and when they actually started progress on it so i'm wondering if that's why it's been quiet on that front whereas like adapting something else that's already been out and done you can kind of like have a scope for it in mind i feel like they 
these companies start like even before the books come out. Yep. Like crowded. Yeah, fair enough. Because you can you can read the script and get the gist and you know get started. Yeah. Figure yeah. out who you know who who and what you're gonna do. Yeah. yeah. And especially who, in the who you're Miller, gonna do. That's right. <laughs> who you're gonna do. And especially in the the Malar situation, like he works with them now, so like and. Yeah. In general, his style is very cinematic. Yeah, I don't think he cares about the book finishing up. (laughs) I think he's just like, oh yeah, money, 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 please. And also, that deal's from 2017, so what the hell? Well, so interesting, I I did look this up, and it may just be in in the article. It seemed like there was some, uh, uh, I guess, disagreement about what it should be. It sounded like Lemire feels like it should be a movie, but RDJ and Netflix oh. feel like it should be a series. So what you're referring to is actually an interview from 2013 where he spoke, Lemire did, with CBR and um, felt as though it should be a movie. Um, but that was seven years ago, so I'm sure, you know, um, yeah. But hey, hats off to Jeff Lemire. I hope that this results in more money in the bank. Um, yeah, I look, I look forward to it. Yeah, hope it, hope it comes together. Yeah. It's cool so then. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to tramp on this transition. I was just gonna say it's cool that they're making an entire series or movie based on a Fallout Boy music video. <laughs> There's going to be so much flannel in this movie. <laughs> it's going to be so more than we bargained for, <clears throat> for sure. You're you're right. Anyone else? Gail? <laughs> Any more one-liners? the song enough. Yeah. No. Phil, you got another one before I go on? No, I just I feel bad for the run of the letter here. Kale, I was hoping he'd kind of try to get something in there. Sorry. Mm. All right. Uh, so... I'm Here's a one name. wonder, just oh. like Fallout Boy. There it is! <laughs> he did it! Sean gave you so many opportunities. <laughs> no, that was the So one, right? many opportunities. <laughs> it's unfortunate that you took that opportunity to interrupt me and then be totally wrong. Fallout Boy is the no, furthest thing. I, I do. I, I really like Fallout Boy. Oh, just, <laughs> I, I took the swing. It was what Shit, came, it was what came out. That album had two singles. <laughs> That were both hot. Yeah. Yeah. They so, saved rock and roll. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, John, I have one more now. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. that Phil didn't make a Simpsons joke. Honestly. Uh I I yeah, that's fine. Radioactive man, follow boy. The goggles do nothing. Yeah. There you go. There you go. We got there. Yeah. Kale, do you uh do you want to take us into the next news segment? <laughs> my, wanna... my man, I don't even know what the next news segment is. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. What else is new? I told you I don't I don't look at the notes when you put them up. <laughs> Why? What would be the value of doing preparation? <laughs> Why would you prepare for the when show you could that just we do? Interrupt me. That's uh, what. Yeah, that's <laughs> what. That's what you put me here for. Fair. All right. Uh, so. Quentin Tarantino, a name that uh, I didn't think I'd have reason to say on this show, has come out and talked about the fact that way back in the 90s, 
he wanted to make a Luke Cage movie. Now, when I first read that, I I honestly genuinely had to do a double take. And then I had to think about the devil and the angel on either side of my shoulders. <laughs> nice. Because on one hand, Quentin Tarantino's Luke Cage could be one of the coolest uh, films or, or anything based on a comic book property. But on the other hand, I have seen Quentin Tarantino movies that have black people in them. <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure how to feel. So I'm going to read a little bit of what Quentin said, and then I want to get your guys' feedback. Uh, he said on Amy Schumer's podcast, Three Girls, One Keith, whatever that is. He said that uh, there was a time before all this Marvel shit was coming out. It was after Reservoir Dogs. It was before Pulp Fiction. And I thought about doing Luke Cage. Growing up, I was a big comic book collector. And my two favorites were Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, later Luke Cage, Power Man, and Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. As an aside, I don't know why, but like that doesn't surprise me on any level at all. Not on any level. Oh, no, level. yeah. Those are a hundred. Yeah. That's his jam. Look at, his, look at the movies he's made. Yeah. He said, what dissuaded me was my comic geek friends talked me out of it because I had an idea that Larry Lawrence Fishburne would have been the perfect guy to play Luke Cage. But all my friends were like, it's got to be Wesley Snipes. And I go, I like Wesley Snipes, but Larry Fishburne is practically Marlon Brando. I think Fish is the man. And they're like, yeah, but you'd have to get in shape in a big way. Snipes is that way already. And I go, F that. That's not important. F you. You named you ruined the whole damn thing. Yeah, that sounds like Tarantino. And then he he talked a little bit about um, the most recent Luke Cage, the first time we got him on, you know, live action. And he said, well, frankly, to tell you the truth, I might be one of the pains in their asses because I love the way the character was presented so much in the 70s. I'm not really that open to a rethinking on who he was. I just think that first issue, that origin issue, was so good. And it was really Marvel's attempt to do a exploitation movie vibe as one of their superhero comics, and I thought they nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. So just take that issue one and put it in script form and do that. The Luke Cage Hero for Hire era, that's the era. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, I knew that was going to be his his, uh, his take, is that he wanted Black Exploitation, yeah. Heroes for Hire, Luke Cage. Well, yeah. as, soon as, as soon as I like saw this was in the news, I was like, oh, so he, he made Jackie Brown instead. Yep. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly like that's his black exploitation, you know, homage movie. It's like very much what it sounds like he wanted to do. Yeah. Which um, like uh, Jackie I Brown is a very about good movie. That. Yeah, like I could see I could see how parts of that could be cool, like in terms of like the way it could be shot and that you could really lean into like the original vibe and the fashion and all that stuff. But like, I don't know. Kale, what do you think? I don't know. I don't, um, I don't know if I have an opinion about this. I I do think Lawrence Fishburne would, especially nineties Lawrence Fishburne would be a good, uh, pretty good choice. I'm trying to see that. Like, like him just like fucking cut, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I I wonder if this was sort of at the time that like studios were thinking about like the this type of movie 
and where they ended up with Blade. I wonder if this was just like one of their options. Mm. You can only have one at a time. <clears throat> the thing about it is, I don't feel like Quentin Tarantino would have agreed to make it if it needed to be beholden to any type of rules about what he could or couldn't do. No. Like, I yeah. think the movie would absolutely have to be R-rated. It would be Luke Cage taken right out of the comics, but not for kids on any level. <clears throat> and I wonder if Marvel... I, I mean, I guess I don't know the the situation with the rights to Luke Cage or who had it or why Quentin thought he could have made that movie. Like, were there conversations? Were there talks? I don't know any of that. But assuming that he could have made it, right, and Marvel would have been down for that, I really feel like it could have been great. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think at that period, I could see it happening. Because, like, to your point, like, I don't know, like, if somebody had the rights that would have precluded it. But, like, you have to think, like, Luke Cage in 1997 or whatever, I don't feel like that's a super hot property that people were, like, snapping at the bit for, you know? Like... Well, and I don't even think you you mentioned the you know the kids aspect of of like the comic book audience. I it probably that probably wouldn't have even been a consideration if they didn't the want time. it to be right. No, yeah. no, yeah. I, I was just throwing that out there. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Um, I I don't know. I I feel like this. I feel like if he had pushed for it, it probably could have happened. Like coming off of Reservoir Dogs, like he was kind of like an up and comer at that point. Like, granted, Pulp Fiction was really what like put him on the map. I don't know. It was easier to do adaptions then. He he's yeah. never made a bad movie. Like even as a screenwriter, he wrote True Romance that kicked ass. He wrote Reservoir Dogs that kicked ass. Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, both Kill Bills. Um, uh, the guy's got a good track record. Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. Uh, 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 Django Unchained. Uh, Hateful Eight, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Every movie has been very good. <laughs> So you would like to see a <clears throat> a Quentin Tarantino location? Yeah, I'd fuck with that. Is that something that you would watch that you would want today? Uh, yeah, fuck it, I'd watch it. I don't. That's actually a more interesting question. Would it be better had he done it then or now? I would uh, say then. then. Yeah. 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 Because, if, uh, like. First of all, there's absolutely zero way that that happens today. But if you want to put that aside just for the sake of the argument, I still don't think that you could make that because I feel like a lot more people are aware of a lot more things socially now. And there are things you just absolutely could not do in that movie. You could make the same movie, probably, and, and have it be, like, not Luke Cage, have it be some random unknown character. But the second it's a comic book character and all that, I feel like there's just muddies the waters way too much. And there's no way that Quentin Tarantino could do whatever he wanted. It's harder to do things like that with licensing movies, like movies with big licenses, because he's talked about wanting to make a Star Trek movie, too. But he yeah. wouldn't want. He wouldn't be able to make the Star Trek movie that he wants to make. He he would want to do an homage to the late '60s Star Trek and like really like you know focus on the elements that were late '60s Star Trek versus what you know J.J. Abrams did, which is reboot '60s Star Trek with like a 
stylish late 2000s, early 2010s kind of atmosphere to it. Because at the end of the day, we have giant studios who are in charge of all this, which, you know, in the 90s, who who cared about Luke Cage in the 90s? Right. I also think think he was less comfortable to a degree. Like it, 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 now it, it, not that I'm saying he's, you know, he's resting on his laurels or whatever, but you know, he's, he's very, now he's very firmly Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. And, and back then it this would have been early Tarantino, you know? Mm-hmm. It's says <clears throat> it's interesting to think about the context in which it would exist either way. Right. Cause like in the nineties, like it would be a movie that we would look back on right as like a oh that was one of the potentially one of the formative superhero movies of the time or it would be like a weird relic like how there's like three punisher movies that everybody forgets about and john travolta's in one of them or something and like I love you know what i mean movie. like it could be something like that too but it probably wouldn't be because it was a tarantino movie yeah um whereas if it was now the the announcement of this movie today it would be like oh this is a reaction to joker um you know, like, are you, uh, or at least in terms of like scope, right? Because it could be the same kind of thing where it costs less and it's not a huge effects driven film and it's not part of the MCU. It's an auteur driven, you know, like, and I don't mean like edgy Joker, but you know what I mean? Like similar kind of like, oh, Marvel's doing this other non MCU imprint and they're going to do, you know, these offshoot films. I can't see Disney going that route, but go on. Sean. Definitely not. Why would they? They're winning. <laughs> yeah, even if they weren't, though, there's zero zero point zero percent chance that a movie like that would get made. Um, there's no reason to do it, especially when you consider that Luke Cage is black and Quentin Tarantino will not be considerate to PC culture or you know, anything like that. He's going to just make the movie he wants to make. And I think every single one of us has a vision in our minds of exactly what that movie would be. And that is not a movie that can come out in 2020 with a comic book character on the face of it. Yeah. What was the last black exploitation film that came out? The, the last thing I can think of was black dynamite, which was 2009. The world's changed <clears throat> a lot since 2009. They just did that shaft reboot kind of thing but i don't think that exactly set the world on fire uh that uh, i'm genuinely asking that uh new eddie murphy murphy one is that that, oh is that considered one yeah but that dolomite is my name dolomite is my name that was it that's what it is okay and but that was more of a biopic about uh, a period actor uh, the guy who like who was dolomite in the 70s I think that movie, though, at, at the very least, utilizes black exploitation elements because of what it's based on. Right. Um, so, but yeah, again, no, I think that's totally different than a movie with a comic book character yeah. Yeah, made by absolutely. Quentin Tarantino who's not going to show any type of restraint whatsoever. Yeah. Um, in another world, though. I'd really love to see what that movie could have been. And I wish his dumbass friends hadn't recommended him Wesley Snipes because 
I totally disagree with them. I do not think that Wesley Snipes was the call because he doesn't look any like Luke Cage is a big dude, and Lawrence Fishburne has that like Built. that body to him. Yeah, yeah, he's tall, right? Like, isn't he? Like, it's six? that same. It's that same call of like Nick Nicholas Cage as Superman. Yeah. Like, just grab who's hot at the time. Right. And could you imagine? That's insane. And that's that almost thing. happened. It's like, I, I get yeah. the knee jerk of like Wesley Snipes is badass, but he was perfect for Blade. Like that was perfect. Yep. I definitely don't see him as Luke Cage, like at all. Really. Well, and again, like Quentin Tarantino's friends are probably all white. So, oh, you need a black person? Wesley Snipes, duh, he's the only <laughs> black person one. allowed to exist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fair. That was uh, that was the industry back then. Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk really quick about Dan Didio. He's a name that's kind of been uh, under the radar recently, of course. Dan Didio, uh, the former co-publisher over at DC Comics who was fired in February over who knows what. We've heard a lot of different things, nothing that concrete. Um, but he recently did a drink and draw. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, a live stream that they do. Uh, drink and draw social club with a few other people. Joe Casada notably was also on it. And uh, he talked a lot about, you know, his time at DC and things like that. He, he actually had a really interesting story about a time in 2008 where it was rumored that he was going to be fired and uh, how that actually wasn't true. But the fact that the rumor was so persistent actually had a negative impact on his life. Um, both, personally and professionally, and that it was Joe Casada who stepped in and had a conversation with him that uh, saved him in a lot of ways. And I thought that was really cool. But um, what we're here to actually talk about is his biggest regret at DC. Now, let me pose this question. Hopefully, you guys haven't opened the article yet. Pete, of course, is reading it currently. But for those of you who may not be, what do you think is Dan Didio's biggest regret from his 20 years at DC. Uh, I just want to say, I didn't read the article. I was looking at the YouTube video. Okay. Ah, oh, man. Scott Lobdell. Scott as Lobdell. A now, what about Scott Yeah, just Lobdell? as a person. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest regret. Oh, uh, definitely that I didn't kill Dick Grayson 15 years ago. <laughs> Fuck, you know what? <laughs> um... I don't know. Like, I I want to say like with some something bigger, like that it would be like he regrets doing some bigger change or something like that, or not making some bigger change. But like that's also what he kind of did. So I don't know. I I fucking I. Ho- Sorry, go ahead. I, I bet his actual regret is like oh, I wish they did more monster stuff. I love monsters. Yeah. Yeah, I I hope it's something along the lines of oh, I wish I kicked out that uh, Eddie Berganza guy a lot a lot sooner than I did. Definitely not that. Uh, <laughs> so what it is is the new Fifty Two. Oh, cool! Uh, in All right. fact, huh. not the new Fifty Two itself, but the lack of effort that DC put into the second year of the new Fifty Two. So this is what he said. 
The biggest regret I got is not spending the same amount of energy on year two of the New 52 as we did as we did on year one of New 52. We spent a good six to eight months building the New 52, rethinking the characters, rethinking the designs, rethinking the villains, rethinking everything so it all made sense. As things progressed, moving quicker, we spent less time on development, so we were spending less energy making changes for the characters that felt like they were worthy of a new direction or line. By the time we got into the third year, we're just dusting things off and dropping them in. They're not making sense because they're slightly changed, but not really changed. Fans don't have a point of reference anymore. You feel the wheels coming off the cart. What happens is we get to rebirth. We reinstitute some of the things we felt were missing. But what also happens is you put in things that made you want to revamp the line in the first place and things get stagnant again. Everybody says, don't change them anymore. But the whole purpose of storytelling is change and evolution. If you're not changing and evolving, you're stagnant. And when you're stagnant, the books become what the fans identify as, does this book matter? I need to know which books to buy, and I only want to buy the books that matter. Well, the only way they matter is if they're constantly affecting change. When you're chasing your own tail and you can't get out of it, you have to do these starts and stops every once in a while to keep it going. I thought that was fascinating. And it's so great and refreshing to hear someone who was that close to the core of production at DC or Marvel, who only recently stopped, talk about it. It's one thing to hear from you know someone who was involved 20 years ago, but this guy was involved this year. So I really loved hearing about this. And we've talked about the New 52 on this podcast before and how I felt janky. Uh, and stuff like that, and how things didn't feel like they fit well, especially in like the Batman universe. Does this ring true for you guys? It, it definitely demonstrates. So, like, I think there were a lot of really good things to come out of the New Fifty Two from the word go, and it, it shows where they put the focus on. Right? Okay, so having having Grant be able to finish on Batman Inc., even though they fucked up the continuity aspect, was still good. Like they let him finish what he had to do. Good. Uh, having Scott Snyder take over Batman on the primary title was also a, a good decision. Like they, that was that was that was they, they put the right peg through the right hole, right? Uh, having Grant do Superman in the first eighteen issues, great. Like they were still the, coming out of the gate. You could see that there were good ideas being implemented, and and in practice, in practice is another thing. But having uh, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, arguably your two biggest names in house. To Justice League, your biggest title, that first arc wasn't very good, but you know, honestly, it it got better. So, like, you can see where it was a a logical decision. Yes. So, where they put their attention, I think things they worked out, or they were well, the the, well principled. But line wide, New Fifty Two came out with fifty two titles. A lot of those weren't good, and it's because that attention wasn't put on those books and to what Dan's saying year two, year three, a lot of those little details weren't focused on at all. And that's very obvious. It, a lot of things didn't, it it didn't feel like a new continuity by year three as much anymore. Yep. Yeah. By year three, it's like, why is this still the new 52? I totally felt, what Dan Didio is saying in the moment as a reader. It's wild how hot and fresh that felt 
in year one in comparison to at any other point. And you could see the culling. I remember so many of those books were canceled. And to me, that just goes to show that they never should have existed in the first place. Um, there were a lot of good ideas there in the new, within the New 52. But um, again, you know, just an execution issue of, hey, how the hell does this make any sense? You know, um, there were characters who would come in. I remember reading Batman... And I can't think of a specific example at the current moment, but they'd come in, oh, well, this part is different about this character. Okay, cool, but this part's not. All right, well, how am I supposed to know that? I don't know. Just read the story. Okay. Yep, Mr. Freeze. But you, you can't yeah. orient yourself anywhere when you don't know the rules and you don't know yeah. anything. So that was, yeah, that was the case with uh, Green Lantern. Because they did the new Fifty Two right in the middle of yep, Jeff. Uh, like the climax of Jeff's uh, Jeff's run. Yeah, that was rough. I I, I remember that distinctly. I, I didn't think the book was bad, but it definitely felt uh, weird. Who who talks about Jeff's? You know, Jeff's run was great, but after Brightest Day, who remembers what the fuck happened? You just mentioned Brightest Day, and I didn't remember that the fuck happened. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. The other thing that's really interesting about this is you can clearly see where the lines were drawn between him and Jeff Johns. Because I would imagine that Jeff Johns would say something, maybe not the exact opposite, but very different with regards to change in comics. Because Jeff Johns certainly is the type of person, and we've seen it through his work, who would prefer things to be the way they were. You know, Rebirth very much felt like taking these characters back to a more recognizable state. And here, Dan Didio is saying, you know, we did, we did the New 52 because of this. Why would we go back to this? So those are the two ideologies that separated these guys. And given how much power Jeff Johns ended up having around the Rebirth era, I definitely understand the friction between them now that Dan Didio has has made this statement. I just, I, I, but I also feel like, you know, and I've said this before, like they, in the case of the New 52, like some of their reboot you know their continuity reboots or whatever were half-assed like you know they didn't they they wanted their cake and eat to eat it too like yeah. batman was younger and he still had four sidekicks but he was 35 or some shit like not even i don't think i think he was younger yeah. and she's like well if you wanted a reboot why didn't you just reboot it Right, and I think, like, the thing that he was saying where, like, by year three they were just peppering in all the things that they had already kind of, like, that were, that were the cause of the reboot. Like, it, it speaks to what you said, Sean, where it's like, well, then why even do it in the first place? Like, why even bother going through a line-wide shake-up if you're just going to, you know, rubber band things back to the way that they already were? And And that's why in comics it's so hard to do this because – like he said, six to eight months of thinking, great. And you could you could tell because the start of the New 52 was really good. But even within that, look at what we're saying. Batman made no sense. He was between, I, I, I would say between 
what 25 and 35 and he's and his career he was still supposed to be within a few years of the start of his career yet he's had 17 different sidekicks and a child who's 11 years old nightwing is an adult it made no sense if so go ahead if you're gonna do a line wide a, a line wide reboot which is what they did in 1986 you have to commit to it you have to strip away everything that came before. And and it's interesting because I was trying to think – like I, I was – while you guys were talking about it, I was thinking to myself like, well, the problem why you can't do this anymore is X, Y, or Z. And, and I think it's like a combination of things where you need to commit to things. But I think that it's also harder for publishers to commit to things because I feel like the way that we have discourse about comics now – is so different than it was when some of the examples we're referencing were taking place because there wasn't the internet and there wasn't like an article in the New York Times announcing that a thing was going to happen before it happens. And like Sean made that point about, um, you know, the whole, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name, but the the writer who did the run on Captain America where he was. Oh, Hydra. Nick Spencer. Thank you. Yeah. The Nick Spencer Captain America run, right? Like, there was a fan outcry and like a public, you know, book burnings. Um, what was that? There were book burnings and things. Yeah, like that. right. Like th- there was a movement about that storyline before it had even concluded. Whereas, you know, sure, like fans probably reacted negatively to like the death of the original Flash and we're going to have Wally West now and maybe originally. But like it's the kind of thing where like, OK, if people are writing letters to the editors or whatever – but they're still buying the books, like, what, whatever. Like, people are mad, but they'll get over it, and a new generation gets into this character, or in the old generation, some of them decide they like him, and, you know, but now, like, everything becomes a, a conversation, and, like, there's this group of people who are vehemently, don't change anything, stop changing everything, and a group of other people who complain that everything's stagnant and it never changes and you can't please both of those audiences so like you end up in this back and forth of like let's do a new thing until it's time to go back to the old thing that's not new though even uh you know even now like uh on the nerdist comics panel way back when len ween was on it he used to talk about that being the case with thor they would do something with Jane Foster and people would write them letters about how much they hated Jane Foster and they needed to get rid of her and they would to bring in someone else. And then people would just ask for Jane Foster back. Yeah. And also people did stop reading on mass when Barry Allen died. Cause that was their flash. I mean, you get a lot of these old heads now, who, like when this happened in their forties, we're like, Oh great. Barry Allen's back. I'll, I'm going to read this again. And I haven't read in 20 years. That, that is true. But I think, Pete's the, – the bigger message of the point that Pete is making is when you talk about – and this is – maybe this is a more extreme example. I'm, 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 ex, I'm willing to accept that. But in the case of with Nick Spencer's Captain America, um, you probably wouldn't have had in 1980-whatever a, a major news publication – covering the death or the the change of a character obviously superman yeah, that was a major deal but superman was an american icon right right um 
So is Captain America, but not in 1994, I guess. Uh, yeah, not not back then. And I think if and if not in the if, way that Superman is, you know, yeah, like Superman's yeah. the superhero. And I think that there are several characters that we could name right now who, if they just became a Nazi, that would be on the front page of a lot of different publications today. So, and meanwhile, that same exact thing happened way back when, and it didn't elicit this kind of reaction. So we do have a more reactionary culture and this news does become more pervasive. And on top of that, you have people who react to things that don't actually read the comics. If someone's writing in to the editor, that means they read the book at the very least. Whereas I'm willing to bet that a lot of people who were mad about that Nick Spencer situation did not actually read the book in question. Oh, and I think a lot of those people don't read comics at all, right? Because like, no, there, that's, was, yeah. there, there was a clear narrative um, among people who are fans of Captain America from the MCU, who were like, Captain America would never be a Nazi. No, like, yeah. And yeah. then there was also kind of the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the like socially conscious crowd that was arguing about it, where they're like, he is a character who was created by two Jewish creators, and this is a, uh, and he the first co- comic is him punching Hitler, and this is a, a a betrayal, and and it's and it's you know it's racist and it's wrong, and like. There, there, there is that snap to write that article and create that conversation or write that tweet or whatever and be a part of the dialogue. And even if that was happening with these previous changes and, and you know, um, reboots and whatever, like it was happening in a different way. And the discourse was limited to people who read comics or wrote letters to the editor. And to Sean's point, that's exclusively the audience. That's not a national news story about how Captain America, beloved icon, is a Nazi now. And what is Marvel doing? Yeah. So I, I, I think, man, I almost want to do like a, a, a retrospective on Dan's career. But uh, just to cap this conversation off, I feel like if anybody, based on the way he talks and based on what he did at DC and what he was trying to do with 5G – I feel like if anybody was trying to push things forward, it seems like it was him. And it seems like a lot of the resistance that he got was from people who more or less want to keep things the same. And and me personally, I'm not I'm not in favor of 5G. I wasn't hyped about that idea. And I do feel like uh, I would rather see these characters uh grow and change within the confines of their own sandbox and not take them out of it. But my feeling that way doesn't change the fact that here is a guy who is trying to move the industry forward or at least move DC forward. And I can't be mad at that. So um, I just think it's interesting that he perceives that DC didn't do enough to push the narrative forward and to drive these characters into different directions. And I wonder if he had his way, could we have accepted it that way? Oh, I would have been I think thrilled a, if that happened. I think there's definitely at least some truth to what he's saying, because I think you look at the times when those kinds of things are successful, and it's because of a commitment to it. Like, um, the death of of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe to bring in Miles Morales was something that like a lot of people 
were myself included were upset about at the time and was like a big story and a thing that was controversial but like look at the ramifications of that you know what 10 yeah roughly 10 years later like Miles Morales is a huge character in his own right into a whole generation of kids like he's their Spider-Man and that's awesome you know and like that's that's something that like for every one of these things that fails like every once in a while you do get something like that you know and you get a meaningful change and a meaningful addition to the roster um and like a new legacy for a new generation and like that is i think really important you know i think that does um help comics and drive things forward you know to get new players on the board and new readers who are interested in those new players right yeah um and it it doesn't always work out and it seems like 5g was almost a redemption of the new 52 and that was a a bridge too far for the brass at dc comics and and warner brothers with it with this whole thing that's kind of where i've settled where yeah he was probably pushing people too too far to get this thing done and there was probably some some you know, uh, uh, upset feelings over that. But I think probably more to the point, he was really actually trying to get rid of the fan favorite characters to reintroduce or to introduce a new wave of heroes wearing those same costumes. And I don't think that that was something that people were ready for at DC. And I think that's probably why Dan is not there anymore. Yeah, I mean, particularly when you think about the fact that like in a lot of ways, they're just starting to get their multimedia strategy like figured out. You know, like they have a new Batman movie coming soon and everything. Like, I'm sure they want Bruce in the cow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame, though, because, like, you have to think, like, yeah, like, maybe it would have sucked. But, like, I don't know. I, I would rather see these publishers take risks and do things that are controversial because if they suck, they're it's all going to get rubber banded anyway. And anything that people don't like or that was bad will get written out or people will stop referencing it and eventually we move on and we don't think about it anymore. And, like, if it works, you know, you maybe you get a Miles or a Kamala or, or a Wally or, you know, whoever. Yeah. That's a tough balance. Uh, I think Phil said, you know, th- there were fans of Barry who stopped reading for 20 years. So it's like, right. damn. You know, you do have to walk that tightrope, kind of, but... um, That's how you you just take advantage of Black Label, you know? Just, like, publish shit about those characters, alternate universe, old stories, or whatever. Like, you can fucking have your cake and eat it, too. Like, play ball, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, I do want to talk a little bit about Comic-Con, because this is going to be the dovetail into our main topic. And Mike Armstrong who is uh, an executive over at ReadPop, did an interview where he talked about, he did an interview with comicbook.com, I should say, uh, where he talked about the state of ReadPop and comic book conventions in, uh, you know, in the U.S. and and, and worldwide. Uh, And just so we're clear, uh, Mike is the VP uh, and event sales director for ReadPop. So, He's a pretty big deal, I would say, over there. Pretty high up there, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a whole interview. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He talks about what went down with Emerald City Comic Con, of course, the first uh, major con, at least, to be canceled. One of the one of the first major events, I think, to be canceled as a result of COVID-19, of course. That was supposed to take place in Seattle, which was the birthplace of this whole thing in America. And so that was a, that was a big deal. Um, but... 
and, and there's a lot of that. But what I was most interested in in this article was talking about the health of reed pop in these in this climate. And he said this. So he was asked uh, after postponing Emerald City and issues and issuing refunds to many participants, have the relief bills passed by Congress provided much assistance in stabilizing your business? Uh, to which he said, our business is stable despite the situation this year. It feels like ages ago, but we've run three really good shows at already this year, those being PAX South, PAX East, and C2E2, and have a diversified business that is allowing us to actually make investments and tackle projects that have been on the side of our desks for months. We're actually hiring, too. We're focused on doing everything that we can to come out on the other side of this stronger than we were going into it. We know that our situation is unique, which is why so much of our effort since we postponed ECCC has been trying to promote dealers and creators to help them bridge the gap between shows. We know how important they are for their livelihoods and take their success personally. Uh, He then goes on to say, our business will be fine. Shows will come back. Fans need and want to gather. Creators want to promote their work. In the meantime, it's important to think about all of the families that have been truly impacted by the situation. He goes on and on. Uh, and I think that that statement is worth thinking about. And we're going to think about it as we go into our main topic because it sounds like Reed Pop is doing just fine. And that's great to hear because I was concerned about them because of having to cancel uh, Emerald City and, of course, New York Comic Con. Who the hell knows what's going to happen with that? Like San Diego is even more of a threat probably because you got to imagine that's the biggest event they do. They don't run that. That's not their – Really? Reebok doesn't own San Diego? No. That's – um. uh, What? Uh, what are they called? Uh, it's it's actually referenced in the article, so I'll pull it up. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con, one of your largest competitors, issued a statement on Twitter stating that they are hopeful that the convention will still be held in July. So he's – Yeah, the, the, Comic-Con yeah. International. Yeah. The name of, wow, I yep. totally thought that was a Reed Pop event. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I wonder about that. I wonder about – the health of these conventions and i wonder if we will do conventions the way we've done conventions going forward and that's what i want to talk about in the main topic which is how is geek culture our culture going to change once all of this is said and done once the dust settles and we're allowed to go back to these things and and you know celebrate the way we do Will we still do it? That's the question. So, yeah, this is just something that I've been thinking about a lot. I've been thinking about the fact that more than a lot of other things, so much of the way that we sort of celebrate and enjoy, we'll we'll go with comic book related, you know, media is through, you know, physical closeness. You know, we go to a weekly we go to a store every week to buy the thing that we are in love with and passionate about and that's unique you know there really isn't anything anywhere else where that's the way that you engage with it if you buy books 
you know, you might go to a store. That's totally reasonable, but you probably don't go every single week to buy a book. And right now, obviously, we're not allowed to do these things, but that's not going to be that way forever. There is going to come a time within the next, you know, few months where all these stores will reopen and they will be trying to get us back inside. But what I think a lot of people are underestimating right now is the fact that there will be many people who are afraid to do that ever again, who are afraid to be in a crowd at a comic book convention, you know, where you're surrounded by people who a lot of the times already are not being considerate of others when it comes to coughing or, you know, putting their hands on people or standing too close to them, things like that. Um, and, you know, especially because without a an actual like cure or vaccine or whatever for the coronavirus, there will never be a time where you're not at risk on some level of catching it. Uh, so that's kind of what I want to talk about is how do we re-engage with the world of geek culture when so much of the way that we do that or used to is based on physical closeness. And I want to start this conversation before you guys even say one word. I want to share something with you that I saw this weekend or not this weekend, but this week rather uh, that really touched me. And uh, it in a lot of ways is what spurred me on to want to have this conversation. So I'm going to put that in our in our chat. And of course, it will be made available to you guys that are listening and um you know, we'll dissect it. For those of you who cannot see what it is, uh, what I've just linked to them is a video from Twitter that shows the live reaction that the audience had watching Avengers Endgame last year to when Captain America first picked up the uh, Hammer of Thor. All right. Oh, do you want us to watch it? Yeah. <laughs> You guys watching on YouTube will be able to hear it. Just that that reaction that the crowd is having. The reason why I wanted you guys to see this is because that's something that you lose when you say things like, oh, well, why do we have to go to movies? Why don't we just release them all online? You know? I don't care about going to the movies. Um, Marco. Yeah. Yeah. Look at you. It, it, you know, not just Marco. Marco's certainly not the only person who's expressed that type of thing. But Pete brought it up too. that's a sent. Sorry? So Pete brought it up too. That's a sentiment that I've seen. And you can't have that experience when you're sitting in your house watching a movie when it's just you and your 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 closest friend or your spouse or whatever the case may be. So that's where I'm going to leave it to you guys to, you know, jump in and say your piece. Um so yeah, I mean, I think to start it from the angle of the conventions of it all cuz that was kind of where we started with um <clears throat> you know, with the read pop comments from Mike. I think I think there's a lot of reason to believe what he's saying for the most part um i think for starters like read pop 
in particular anyway, right? Like they're a, a really big company and they're pretty successful. They manage a ton of these events. Um, PAX in and of itself, right? Like there's like five or six of those. They do Comic-Cons in almost every major city. Um, they're adding new ones all the time, many of which get better every year. And, you know, we've seen some of those firsthand. Like uh, the idea that they have a war chest of money that they can leverage if they need to and the fact that like uh, a lot of the costs of their business come from setting up these events too so if they don't happen like they're not losing money on them necessarily um i mean they are right because they're not doing business but like they're not putting out a bunch of money that they're, they're not getting a return on in the same way that like you know we're talking about with comics traditionally are right um so the idea that like they have all these other like maybe digital projects, maybe these other things with partners that they wanted to work on that they haven't had time for that they can focus on and make some revenue in the short term. And then, you know, uh, when the vaccine inevitably comes and we can get out of quarantine, they're going to bring their events back and they'll be fine, I'm sure. Like, will we see uh, a decrease in attendance for at least a year or two? I would think, yeah. But I think once there's a vaccine and you get vaccinated – your fear of it will go away. Um, and uh, not everybody, but enough people, I think. And, and I think in the same way that Sean said, like, there's a passionate audience who is eager to get back to the comic book store. There's a passionate audience who's eager to get back to life going to conventions and cosplaying and all that stuff, too. And like to Phil said, life, right? The normalcy of being able to go to New York Comic Con and see each other and see the friends that we don't get to see that often and do the thing that we do or, or you know, go and get your stuff signed. And that's that's a ritual that. Uh, lots of people look forward to every year um, or so a couple times a year or or to the, like they said, the creators who it's a huge part of their livelihood. Um, so I think a lot of us will be eager to get back to it. Um, and once you have, you know, the guarantee in the form of a shot that you're not going to get it, we'll get back to it. Does anyone have a, an opinion that's different than that? Not particularly. I think, I think, I think there's going to be a great, sense of euphoria when people are able to carry on life like they're accustomed to i i think i think in general when you go a long time without seeing a person that you really care about you know there's immediately that you know there's that sense of excitement and it gets it can be a little silly just because like you're just so happy to see that person that you haven't seen in a while i think that's gonna be a cultural phenomena when 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 we're able to really start putting this coronavirus behind us because i think everyone in 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 the world is in the same boat and feeling the same is experiencing the same type of feelings of anxiety isolation uh, loneliness depression what have you that when all this opens up that i think there's going to be a new feeling of there's going to be a new feeling of optimism and i think i think really like these conventions uh, i think people are just going to be excited to see each other and i think that's going to be really palpable yeah um I, I I'm inclined to agree, but there's a part of me that really wonders because fear is a powerful motivator and it doesn't need to be 
you know, COVID-19, could be COVID-20, could be, you know, something totally unknown to us. The fear of a pandemic, right, occurring again, uh, I don't think is something that will leave people's minds super fast. Like, I think ultimately you're probably right, but... I, I do wonder just how many people will be afraid of things like that. And maybe maybe conventions are a different animal because they are rarer and, uh, you know, I, I, I could see that. But, like, in the case of movies, for instance, where, like, you can't have the convention experience in any way other than going to a convention. You can't even, like, really watch it. Like, what would you right, even watch? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas with a movie, you definitely can still engage with it on some level, even if it's not the way that you would have done it a year ago. So, and then with, with, with comic book stores, a lot of stores are not Midtown, but in Midtown comics, there are times when I walk in there and I feel like I'm at a convention. Like I can't get away from people. And that... And a lot of comic book shops do have people who are closer knit where you might go in, see your friends and things like that to where it is this community experience, a community experience that has been shattered by this this current situation. When it comes to movies and that what I just showed you guys, do you think we ever get back to that in a real way? Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think short term, I think there might be trepidation and there will be fear but the reality is in our country there hasn't really been anything resembling the pandemic that we've had since the spanish flu 100 years ago and that's not to trivialize other pandemics that have taken place around the planet like obviously there was mad cow here there was bird flu there's sars like there's a myriad of diseases and viruses that have had major impacts throughout the planet but really the last time something like this swept through the country was a hundred years ago and so i think the more time that we remove ourselves from coronavirus and it won't happen overnight but you know say like avengers 4 comes out in 2024 or something just i'm just spitballing i think by that point we'll be fairly far removed from it that it'll it'll feel like a memory and I think when we remove ourselves from things, that's how people fail to learn from their mistakes, as we see in history over and over. But I, <laughs> I think that's I think that's pretty much what's got to happen as more time is removed from this thing. I think it can be a balance of both of those things, though, because when when Sean was bringing this up, like something that came to mind for me were um, a few different events, which is um, I feel like we're going to have some level of similar chilling effect as we saw like after 9-11, you know, where it is like this moment that is like felt that shakes the whole nation and makes us worried about flying or traveling or, or being in big places. And in a similar way that we saw we've seen with mass shootings in this country, where when there's a big mass shooting, like people get nervous about going to public places or whatever, but we're still, we're still doing it and we're still having conventions and having sporting events and going to the movies. And I think that there is something kind of, um, indomitable about like the human spirit in that way. where like, we want to go out and live our lives and connect with other people. And I think we'll, we'll do that 
unless we really, really feel like we can't, right? And right now, we're being forced to do what we're doing. And I think that to Phil's point, when when that is lifted, as much as there will be people who are trepidatious and afraid, I think there are going to be a lot of people who are really optimistic and excited to get back to like living, you know? Um, but I think to Sean's point, I think the next time that there's a minor, you know, uh, virus outbreak or not to say minor, but like something more like the way that swine or bird flu was in America, like where it was a thing that was fairly widespread, but not a nationwide pandemic. I bet we will see overreactions to those events. Uh, in the same way, because we'll be more sensitive to them. Because before COVID nineteen, we didn't ever think this could happen here. I'm 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 more concerned about the next half a year to a year because okay, the reality is a vaccination is probably not going to be developed until February, and as the curve flattens uh, throughout the country, particularly in New York and New Jersey, um, in Florida and California, uh, you know some of these sanctions on 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 people to be quarantined are going to be lifted and there's a high probability of another wave of covid spreading in the fall specifically like how what's the impact of that going to be like where it's like people get a taste of freedom and then oh it's bad again you got to get back inside well that's the thing new york comic-con drops around that same time that you're referring to and I've been thinking a lot this week about how I'm going to go forward with stuff like that. Even me, like I am like you guys have no idea how much I love. I mean, you guys do, of course, but like how much I love events like that and how much I wanted to go to WrestleMania, how much I love to fly, all that. And I don't know when the next time is that I'll fly because I understand that just because the government says it's safe to go outside again and see my friends doesn't mean that there's not a risk of me catching this thing. And I know that for me, based on my health, I'll probably die. You're a high-risk so, person. Right. So I, I don't know when I'll get that out of my head. And because I feel that way, knowing how important these kinds of things are to me, when I think about New York Comic Con on the horizon, that's a hotbed for another breakout in New York. And then think about all those people then going back to wherever it is they're from and spreading this whole thing again. That's a powder keg. And then when you talk about changes, when we do get to New York Comic Con, are creators shaking our hands? You know, do we get to take pictures the way we always have? Um, they're like, are they signing autographs because they don't want to touch our comics? Like, so many questions there i personally me i would rather not go to new york comic-con this year i honestly like i hadn't thought about it really that much because i know we we saw that the applications went out and we talked about it a few weeks back and we're like should we still apply like what are we gonna do and we're like well let's do it and see what you know what happens and how the situation develops i'm at the point now where i'm with you sean i don't even want to go i don't think and like i also i'm like you i love new york comic-con like i've gone every year since 2009 or 10 um the 10 yeah so this you know would would literally be my 10th comic-con um and I'm at the point where, like, if they have it, I really don't want us to go because I don't think it's worth it. 
you know like i don't want i don't want to even think about the fact that like we could be putting you at risk you know or that like one of us could get sick and like that would mean like oh i like i can't go see my dad on for the holidays or something you know like because we had to go to comic-con in the middle of a pandemic you know like it just seems like um not the right call and that that's hard that's hard to accept like that's you know such a huge time for us and um it's something i look forward to every year it it truly would have to depend on on if a vaccine not only was distributed by the summer uh, i'm sorry uh manufactured by the summer but it would have to be completely accessible to everyone that's the only way that this could be remedied is that something is something is made that has like a 99% uh, success rating and everyone has access to it because otherwise i mean we're going to keep seeing waves of covid it's yeah. so contagious like one person going out can infect six other people that's how contagious it is and that is where i guess i'm coming from Black Widow comes out in November. You know, I don't feel comfortable today. I don't know how I'm going to feel in November. I don't feel comfortable sitting in a movie theater. Uh, It's scary. And I don't want my life to be run by that fear. But I do think that it's reasonable to have these thoughts. And this is something that our culture, that our industry, this, this industry that we love so much, is going to have to deal with. How does Comic-Con, just in general, not any one specific one, at least in the short term, have to evolve to face this? Because like I said, I don't think that New York Comic-Con will be a safe place to be. Are there people who will go? Yeah, there are people outside right now. There are lots of fools out there. Um, and, and, and there are lots of people who are so passionate that they will let that outweigh their sense of logic. How many people is that compared to last year or the year before? You know, we expected growth year over year for this event. What happens now? How does that change things? Tell you what, it might be nice to have a little bit of a thinner crowd. Just like a little. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe like just a few hundred less people. (laughs) Um, Obviously, the people who are most impacted here are all the creators that we care so passionately about who won't, who make so much of their revenue by doing the con circuit. You know, they're, they're the ones who aren't going to be making any money. Yeah. I mean, we're in the midst certainly of con season and this would have shattered the money-making capabilities of, you know, a lot of people who, are, are, are a part of our, you know, circle of, of, of friends or at least in that, you know, in this community, people that we consider to be friendly with. Um, it's very difficult, you know, like a guy like uh, Dan Doherty has, you know, what, three kids or whatever, two kids, a wife, you know, he's got all these things that he's that he has to consider. He just launched a Patreon where he's re- relaunching Beardo, uh, props to him for that. But if you ask me without having spoken to him, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a reaction to all of this. Yeah. Well, and not to mention, I mean, uh, I'm sure it could be like hand in hand, right? Like where I bet he's spending a lot more time at home with his entire family and maybe that's giving him new inspiration for strips. But like, 
in the same breath, I think you're probably right where it ended on such a high note and everything and he's doing all this other stuff. Like he probably wouldn't have the time or the drive to bring back Beardo unless it was something that, you know, like it's this circumstance, right? Right. That's created the reality where, oh, okay, it does come back. Yeah, exactly. Which is great though, right? Like it is it is really awesome to see how creators like Dan are, are adapting to the situation and like um, there's been that awesome trend going on where people are doing the like give me six characters to draw and like you see all these these awesome artists doing their own versions of these characters and uh, it, it's um, it's interesting because I think this whole thing is obviously such a nightmare for so many reasons and the I, I don't even you know it, it, it makes me upset and like depressed even to think about the ramifications and the long-term fallout of, of, of all of this, you know? Um, but at the same time, adversity does uh, breed creativity and it's so cool to see what creative people are doing during this time um, to stay active and to stay connected and to, you know, innovate and try new things. And, and like, that's, that is really cool. And it speaks to that drive in all of us to to make and to connect and to and you know to do those things, um, even under duress. And and it makes me excited to think about that that time period that that Phil's talking about, you know. And and maybe that's a year from now, and and that's tough to think about um, right now. But when when we can get back to living you know, and not being afraid and, and what that's going to mean and what that burst of creativity will, will do and, um, and all the, the passion that's going to be there to, to get out and do things is going to be a really exciting time period too, you know? But um, maybe we do change things in our culture. I mean, did you guys hear what Fauci was saying about handshakes? Uh, Fauci, who's one of the leaders on the White House task force against the coronavirus was saying, you know, Maybe we should never shake hands again. Yeah. Wouldn't that be well, interesting? And... Yeah, that would be crazy. No. If I never have to touch another human being again, it'll be for the better. Even your wife? Um, <laughs> uh, how's my marriage going? Um, Jesus. The um, the other thing too is Yikes. you got to think that like these companies, uh, Reed Pop, as well as you know restaurants and offices and 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 other places, like they're gonna have to completely rethink how they operate. You know, if New York Comic Con wants to be successful and they want to be successful right now. They are going to have to figure out how to, you know, uh, limit the people who are in contact with each other and, uh, you know, figure out how to support the, the, their own industry at the same time. So if that's cleanliness standards, if that's, you know, if they lengthen the uh, Comic-Con and only have it for, you know, certain hours or whatever, like... You know, we, we just talked about, I can't, I can't, at this point, I can't even remember if it was off mic. We just talked about uh, how uh, fast food workers and Amazon workers all went on strike 
because the companies weren't doing enough to uh, help fight the virus, um, that's going to have to change completely. Yeah, I'm glad you're not working in a restaurant now, Kel. When we uh, when we met you, you were working in a restaurant. <laughs> Just very grateful. My dude, uh, COVID aside, like or, or sickness aside, I don't know how I would have survived if I was still in America <laughs> right now. Yeah, uh, and it, and it is you know an uncomfortable thought. It's an uncomfortable topic. I just have a hard time seeing these events again, at least in the short term, uh, being able to happen the way that we're used to them happening. And you know, we have had a lot of conversations about the different ways that this might affect the comics industry as it relates to um, you, you know people being ready. Or wanting to go back to stores to shop and, you know, whether they get used to not doing it and letting that go by the wayside. I I feel that that won't happen, but I've, I think I probably feel um, less like that won't happen, at least in the short term, with these bigger events. Just because there's that added component of you're also putting your life at risk. Um, and I'll say this, though. As as equal as there is the need to be concerned and the fear element, nothing could unite us more now than these same kinds of things, right? Like what could be more unifying for the comic book industry than a very, very successful you know, New York Comic Con? I'm not even saying San Diego Comic Con simply because I don't see a scenario where that happens. But, um, you know, a very successful New York Comic Con or a movie release that just that just hits. Like, wouldn't it be so great if a, if an Avengers movie was the next one up instead of Black Widow? You know, um, I, I think that those things would rally us back together and, and help to fix a shattered world in a lot of ways. But at what risk and at what cost? Um, not to be, um, this is a little tone deaf, but the way, the tone of which we're talking about this feels like the the beginning of the last Avengers movie. This like kind of lost period of time where all these people died. Yeah. And we're just like, ah, for real, some sense of normalcy and all this. Like that was like the theme of that movie. We're in uh, the end yeah, game now. That, that one, that one brief mention of a gay guy at some point. <laughs> I gotta take it there, man. Don't know what you're even talking about. Well, we did reference Ezra Miller. Wait, did we talk about him on the show? No, that was actually not on the show. (laughs) Oh, that was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. He's not gay. That's not right. He's not. I don't know what he is. Um, He did choke slam a lady, though. He's he's not straight, but I don't know that he's gay. But at the very least, it doesn't seem like he likes women. Christ, guys. <laughs> Sean had to get up. Sean walked away. He walked away. He's done. <laughs> Woo! I can't even handle Woo! it. That's not oh, good. man, that's hot. <laughs> wow. Oh, all right. Um, <laughs> so I think that <laughs> that's a good place enough for us to uh, close the door on this conversation, at least for now. 
But I'm very intrigued as to what you guys that are listening to this ultimately think about going back to normal and engaging with your passion, this passion specifically, the way that you always have. Are you afraid of going back to a comic book convention and trying to meet your favorite creator and shake their hand, knowing how many hands that person has just, has already shaken that day? Um, is that a concern for you? Or are you just going to push forward? You know, Will you be in theaters to watch Black Widow or whatever movie you were excited about? Or are you going to just watch it online or wait a while? These are the things that we all now have to think about that we never did before. And I think talking about it is a great way for us to work out how we ultimately feel. And it's important that we do that because eventually the world is going to open back up again. And we need to figure out what our place in it is and how we want to move forward. So definitely write in to let us know your thoughts about that. You can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can get us on social media, of course, at the Comics Pals. If you are watching this right now, you can be sure to leave us a comment. Um, if you're watching this, of course, on youtube.com slash thecomicspals, you can be sure to leave us a comment. Uh, while you're there, drop us a like. Subscribe to our channel, share the video with your friends to let us know, let them know that you're that you're a fan of ours and you like what we do, and uh, hit the notification bell so that you can be made aware when we drop new content. And the best way to engage with us, of course, is to join our Discord server, keep the conversation going post-show, uh, whenever it is that you listen to it, you can pop in and let us know how you're feeling, and uh, we can, you know, engage with you there. So, yeah, thank you for listening, and uh, let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you, guys. <coughs> oh, God. Take two. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Put a lime in him. Uh-oh. Dry <laughs> cough. Thank you, guys, for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to get some more content from me, you can head over to lootpots.com, where I host the weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as the Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. Uh, and I've also been um, streaming a little bit uh, over there. We've been playing some Animal Crossing. We just did our own stream on the Comics Pal stream this past week where we played Drop yes. 2. Uh, I think we're planning on doing another one this week. Don't know what it'll be yet, but uh, we'll probably have something up there for you. Twitch.tv so, uh, slash the Comics Pals, yeah? Yes. Yeah, Twitch.tv slash the Comics Pals. Go give us a follow over there. Um, and, you know, just keep attuned to uh, the you know the Twitter or the Discord or whatever. Like, we'll let you guys know when we go live. And we're trying to figure out some kind of schedule, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but, yeah, I hope you'll come join us. The last time we had ended up having a bunch of people from the community, it was a ton of fun. Um, we played Drawful for, like, two hours or something. It was good. So, hope you'll come join us for the next one. Kill. You can choke slam that follow button on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Uh, you can also see uh, the work I do uh, at kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com, where uh, my comics are all available for free. Really? So congratulations. Wow. Is that is that your yeah, gift to the world in, in the midst of this? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to pay. Listen. Hey, listen. It's We're all going through a hard time right now. You don't have to pay the 99 cents to read my comics. It's fine. We've but all give, done well. You can We can give back. Give, I, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. Give, give, give Kale the 99 cents so that he can get his desk back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Phil? Kale talking about choke slamming that Twitter button. I just I just picture 
I just picture like Paul Bearer talking for Kale. You are Paul, my Kale Taker. Kale <laughs> choke slam that follow button so fast. I just immediately thought of someone like choke slamming the Twitter bird. <laughs> well, just grabbing a bird by the throat. That bird won't be tweeting no wow. more. Uh, if you want to follow Marco. Who's normally on this show? You can follow him at Mr. Marco Animoto on uh, any of the platforms that you like. And uh, I just would like to assure everyone listening that everything will be okay. And we will get through this. Uh, I mean it. I know a lot of folks are anxious, but I, I'm serious when I say that we will get through this. And you can follow me at CyberBebop. Thank you for those those words, Phil. I appreciate the sincerity. <laughs> Once in a while. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. I just finished watching X-Men the Animated Series with my girlfriend. We both really enjoyed it, but we're trying to figure out what to watch next. So hit me with those recommendations of the animated superhero shows, preferably those available on Disney+, Plus, uh, because that's what we have. So... Uh, let us know what you think about that and what we should watch next. Is Marvel uh, is that Marvel superhero show on there from like six years ago? You know what I'm talking about? Mightiest Avengers, I think it was called. Oh yeah, hold on. I think oh, it's Earth's yeah. Mightiest. Earth's, Earth's, Earth's Mightiest Avengers. That, yeah, that's I the believe one. Believe it is. Mightiest Hero. Yeah, Mightiest Earth's Mightiest Hero. That's. Yeah. Have you seen that, Sean? I've seen a handful of. That's episodes. your next show. You should watch that. That show kicks ass. All right. Well, you know, just to, it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's beautiful. Well, I'm gonna go watch that, and hopefully, you guys go do something fun too. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Shit, I'm about to go watch this show. See you next week, baby. Oh ho ho! Make sure you uncork a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> oh, share your cognac with me, Pierre. Crack open a brewski. <laughs> <laughs>